Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I talk to John Suntress of Word Balloon. Now let's get started. Today, I have a very special guest, John Suntress from Word Balloon. John has been doing Word Balloon since 2005, and he, in his own words, is like one of the original Mercury astronauts you know, of the very early days of comic book slash pop culture podcasting. I've been listening to Word Balloon for the last 10 years. To me, John is the gold standard of comic book podcast interviews. John, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. I'm doing great. And uh, honestly, I'm, I'm psyched uh, to be on a, a podcast that originates from Hawaii. It's uh, been a dream to go to Hawaii ever since I was a kid, watching the Brady Bunch go to Hawaii oh, and mm-hmm. all the different TV shows that would cross over to Hawaii well before Magnum. And in uh-huh. fact, um, like, all right, now, because, like, you know, there's enough, like, with that and Hawaii Five O yes. and the new Magnum and stuff. It's like, all right, there's been a lot of Hawaiian production of late. But back in the day, was that like, oh, cool, man, they're doing shows about Hawaii? Or were you like, all right, you know, here come the mainlanders, like, with their BS and everything. I, I have no idea. Like, is it is it a fun thing for you when it happens? No, it is. Because, like, okay, you know, cool. mentioned the Brady Bunch show. Uh, I'm going to be – I'm going to be – because, John, we're almost – I think you're two years older than me. I'm 56. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember if I saw the Brady – that original Brady Bunch show when it was live. I, you know, when they first aired it. <laughs> yeah. I, it was just so cool. Sure. Yeah, basically, like, oh, that's Waikiki Beach. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I even remember a 70s game show called Diamond Head that was shot in Hawaii. And it would end uh-huh. with uh, a person in a glass booth and they would uh, blow air in the, in the booth and uh, really? they, would, they would shower them with bills and they had yes. to grab as many, you know, bills yes. as they could. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the one? No. Oh, God. That sounds familiar. With- <laughs> Didn't they have Don Ho in there? Like, I don't know. I can't I don't know. Don Ho was always on those shows. Like, you know, Chris Brady's much. And also, like, he did that great ukulele duet with his buddy. And I remember the, uh, this time I watched in reruns, when I dreamed, Jamie went to Hawaii, and she conjures uh, King Kamehameha. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And And I believe Michael Ancera, who played, uh, you know, Kang. Yeah. I believe he was King, and also Barbara Aiden's husband. I believe he was King Kamehameha. I could be wrong, but I know Don Ho was in uh was in that episode as well but you know it and you know um you know i mean back then i think um yeah mike michael ansar he, he would have been perfect because yeah. he had he had the because um oh god i can't remember what his nationality was but he had that kind of that brownish dark skin where he could pass as a hawaiian absolutely yeah and i mean you know again i mean he was he was cochise in broken arrow the the yeah. old black and white western I mean, he always played people of color. Yes. And yeah, I I I believe like maybe he's Lebanese or something yeah. like that. And yeah, man, I mean, you know, again, this was back when literally Ricardo Montalban would squint and pretend to be Japanese. <laughs> so there's a, there's I believe it's a Mission Impossible where you know mm-hmm. Montalban is Japanese and it's like sure he is. Okay. Yeah. Or Hector Hector Elizondo played like a um, oh, an Asian an Eastern Asian yeah. on a Colombo. <laughs> like it wasn't Saudi Arabia, but it yeah. was of that culture. 
and <laughs> forgive me of whether it was a Shia or a Sunni no, yeah. uh, country. But yeah, I mean, and Salminio, in fact, uh, was uh, the victim in that, and he also was from that country. Oh. So yeah, I mean, again, this is back back in the day. You know, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. again, it wasn't. I don't think it was done with any malice or anything like that. And it's good right. that now. Yeah, and, proper nationalities are playing their pressure role properly. Oh yes, and and I'm sure back then they, you know, because I guess, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I'm sure because you know, um, since TV shows are probably like made so quickly back then, they had to like, okay, we we got to get whoever, you know. Yeah, yeah, but you kind of figure, and especially, I'm assuming that Hawaiians obviously came to LA. And yes. we're trying to be comedians or actors at the time and stuff like that. I mean, God, you know, Cliff Nesteroff, one of my favorite mm-hmm. comedy historians, just released uh, a great book last year mm-hmm. called uh, We Have We Had a Slight Real Estate Problem. And it's all about the Native American comedians uh-huh. all through history wow. and really 20th century and stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it's like and also pointing out the fact that like a great comedy uh, comedian and um and a uh, great cultural icon, uh, Will Rogers, was actually yes. part Cherokee and everything. But no, it's great. And I mean, he really points out a bunch of the stand-ups from the 60s and 70s that I would have probably seen on Make Me Laugh or some of the variety yes. shows. And I don't remember these guys. So it's really been a great education. And again, you know, uh, uh, they got second-class treatment and stuff. Some of them leaned into it with their comedy. Yeah. Like like that line, we had a slight reservation pro- or a slight, pardon me, slight real estate problem. Mm-hmm. Title. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, but uh, yeah, always, always fascinating. And I'm glad that we're now aware of that and more people of color and, and every diversity yes. are getting their seat at the table. And it's rightfully so, especially in the nerd culture. Long oh. time coming. We've always been very welcoming. I say that as a middle-aged white guy, but truly <laughs> all, all of us nerds, I yes. mean, really, man, we're all excited I mean, I, I just had the guys on who created Comic-Con um, on Saturday. Yes. And um, really, that communal culture, I really believe, has always been there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that there are those who are suddenly like, well, you know, this is our show. And uh, whether, you, you know, you whether you disagree with them or agree with them politically or something, they're drawing lines in nerd culture. And that's such a tragedy because it was never a problem. And, I, and a lot of my good friends, may not, we may not agree politically. But, you know, we're, we're all nerds. And it's like, yeah. we all love this shit. Why can't we all just enjoy it? Sorry if I can't swear. I apologize. No. Yeah, it, it's okay. Don't, if you, don't worry. If you don't worry. I'm okay to swear? Yeah. Just don't all right, worry I probably will another couple it's, times. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. John, this is you. Don't worry, man. All right, man. It's cool. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm sorry. So um, sure. working listeners follow you. Like if there's a new oh, listener to the show, you know. Yeah, uh, no, it's uh, wordballoon.com. That's my main website. But the podcast is everywhere on all the podcast platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, since the pandemic, I really started to do more consistent video. So really for about yeah. the year, last year and a half, uh, a lot of my shows start as Word Balloon Lives on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, mm-hmm. and then uh, become the audio uh, programs a day or two afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been great. So you can find me on YouTube under the Word Balloon channel. You can find me on Instagram under Word Balloon. Mm-hmm. Uh, at John Word Balloon is my Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. And I've got several Word Balloon pages on uh, Facebook and also my own mm-hmm. personal page, John Sanchez. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now, um, for our listeners, you know, 
I'll be talking to John in this episode. I'll be talking to John about his love for comics, everything you know, nerd related, you know, from Star Trek. I'm going to even yeah. talk, you know, and I'm going to let him talk about his days in radio and as a sports writer cover, you know, who covered boxing, you know, and also the early days of podcasting, you know, and and things in between, you know. So yeah, That's so good. so you know. Now I'm also going to point, you know, for any new listeners or even um, long-time listeners, you know, for more of John's rich um, history, please check out the two-part War Balloon 16th anniversary episode. Now that came out May 11th of this year and it was hosted by Tom King. So yeah, so if you guys get a chance, please check that out. Um, let's see. Now, if you got and now if you are at home, you know, please open that cheer wine um, six packs uh, soda <laughs> six pack. I love cherry wine, man. Oh. Good stuff. The best cherry cola there is, man. Oh, that that was for Mike Myers. Mike, do you know Mike Myers, or have you heard of Mike Myers? Tell me about that. I mean, I'm assuming not uh, Wayne's World. Mike Myers. Tell me about Mike Myers. Oh no, Mike Myers. Um, Mike Myers, the uh, podcaster um, Talk from to Colorado. Me. From Colorado, he's been doing podcasts. What's his show? What's his show called? Um, he's got several. He's got like <laughs> Mike's Weekly Reads, um, Geek Brunch. You know, oh, uh, I've heard of Geek Brunch, sure. Yeah, so he's one of the co-hosts on there. Yeah, he's been. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. No, you know, and again, I, I geez, I hope I'm not disrespected by not knowing that, but there are more comic book podcasts, and again, no disrespect to anyone who does it, uh, than even movie review shows or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, literally, I remember more than ten years ago talking to Chris Neesman from Around Comics and Eleven O'clock Comics. Mm-hmm. Can you believe? How many? And that was 10 years ago. And it's like, uh, so, you know, you can imagine how many people now are doing it. I think it's it's great. There's, yes. again, more than enough room at the table for everybody. Yes. But that's good That's good to know that Mike Myers is a cherry wine person because I call it cherry wine. I don't know if it's just cheer wine. Probably yeah. is. There probably is no I or Y in there. <laughs> but I was just called cherry wine because – and I and it's so seasonal here in, in uh, Chicago – Huh? where we really only see it like in the summer and it okay. kind of creeps into the fall. But then like, you know, for like six months the my store doesn't stock it or mm-hmm. they don't stock enough of it. Yeah. And uh, it's like, where the hell's all the cherry wine, man? I mean, you know, it was, it almost came back. It seems in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. it's like that and green river were like old retro soda pops from when I was a kid. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like their last decades when I was a kid and it seems like I hadn't seen it until mm-hmm. like the recent 2000s maybe like in the last 10 years or so and one of my buddies uh, who we, we always talk about on the ah uh, yeah podcast one of the podcasts i do mm-hmm. with art balthazar and franco yes my buddy chucky mm-hmm. and uh, chucky's a good buddy of mine he's a ups guy and he's a big nerd too mm-hmm. and he loves cherry wine so uh, you know half the time i'll buy like you know a six pack of bottles and stuff and bring them over to chucky's <laughs> and it's like all right let's sit down and watch a crappy movie together <laughs> good man Green River, I have to say, we have that. We don't have the cheer. We don't have cheer wine in Hawaii. Well, ah, as far as I know, okay, uh, there could be selling at some other, local, you know, smaller. Sure, <laughs> yeah, some out of the way store. Yeah, you know, but if, but you know, for me, man, it's like if I ever see it, I'm definitely posting that on Twitter. You know, <laughs> oh, but like, have you had it lately, or have people sent it to you, or because no. you know, you you know, online. I mean, God, I don't know what, you know, and good Lord, I don't know what the shipping cost is, but you can order it. That's right. Yeah. So I, mean, that's, I never when, thought about that. Yeah. 
when I when I would go to uh, San Diego Comic Con, yes, and they, you know, so it's at the convention center, and there, you know, everybody talks about the Hyatt, and that's like mm-hmm. the big hotel that a lot of the after hours stuff stuff happens at, yes. but also the Hilton, yes, and um, you know, the Hilton even has panels going on that aren't at the convention center. A lot mm-hmm. of TV stuff happens at the Hilton, but in the after hours, one of my first times, I really wanted iced tea, mm-hmm. and they came with the Republic of Tea bottled. And I can't remember which flavor it was, but I mean, I took a sip. There was no sugar added and it had such a lovely floral taste Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and it was just ice cold. And I'm like, this is the greatest iced tea I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And only certain specialty stores in Chicago, I've been able to find it in the bottles because you can't brew it Mm -hmm. like the way it's bottled and stuff. I mean, you try as much as you can. It's just not going to happen. And I, I do, I'm a massive tea fan and thankfully being as fat as I am, I've weaned myself off of most sugar-based drinks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Chair, chair wine is, is an exception. Yes. Uh, but it's usually a treat. I'll treat myself like every month or so. Oh, yeah. But I do. I, lo- I love just good brewed iced tea. And have mm-hmm. come to, my palate has come to appreciate mm-hmm. just the brewing of the tea. And I don't need any sugar in it or mm-hmm. anything else in it. And it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So. So, all right. okay. so there's some BS for you at the beginning that has no, nothing to do with comics. No, the, but this is great because like you said, it's, it's, it's a conversation. It's, you know, Absolutely. and just a little bit of background information for our audience. You know, um, sure. I, I would just say, I, I'll call John like my podcast friend, you know, or, you know, like, oh my Absolutely, God, man. God, I can't, how many, I, what, three or four years packages? I, oh, I, good I Lord, mean, man. Seriously. Like every year you've been incredibly kind and I mean, between the Kona coffee, all the, the macadamia nuts, all the great cookies and candy, it's an embarrassment of riches every year. The, even the, the popcorn with the, the macadamia nuts. And <sighs> seriously, man, thank you so much. Those are incredibly kind. And uh, truly, it's a treat. And, uh, you know, you've gifted Art Balthazar over the years as well. And it's like, hey, did you get your Kona? And he's like, oh, yeah. You know, and so, so, yeah, man, no, that's – and, you know, we're coffee fiends. Okay. And hey, man, no, Hawaii, Hawaii, Kona coffee is the great is the greatest coffee ever, ever grown. No question. I have to tell you, so just just always be careful. Like if you want the pure stuff, the 100 percent Kona coffee, remember, it has to say 100 percent. If it only says 10 percent, it's just, you know, they mix it in with something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the, no, 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 no. I know it's like uh, it's like cocaine that's been stepped on. So yes. I hear yeah. I have no, I have no, uh, I have no experience. I'm a pot. I'll admit, I don't even know. I'm a, I would assume Hawaii is Hawaii a pot uh, state. Is it a marijuana state? Um, medical marijuana. It's just only medical. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cause uh, I mean, I would assume with the laid back culture and everything, you know, yeah. but yeah, God, truly when, she, when Illinois uh, became legal, my Chucky and I uh-huh. are just like, man, we thought we would be in our sixties or seventies when it finally happened and be like, oh. yay, you know, but <laughs> Here we are. So uh, we're very happy. We're very happy. We were happy before, but we're even happier now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, also too, like um, also too, if you're a new listener or like I said, a long time listener, you know, if you are, you know, if you are at work, you know, if you're working in a um, warehouse setting or doing chores around the whole house, I hope, you know, we can entertain um, you for at least for the next couple of hours. Absolutely. God, man, it sounds like a um, an outer limits opening. You know, <laughs> for the next hour. You know, that's right. We control <laughs> the volume. We control absolutely, man. No, and that's hey, honestly, Jason, that's always the kindest compliment I get about Word Balloon is like you said, I work in a warehouse. I I'm painting houses all day, things like that, and it's like 
listening to your show is a great escape. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do long form on my show. And my shows sometimes yeah. will run two hours or more. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tom King, Bendis, Rucka, Fraction, those guys. It's a long conversation. And also, having done this for 16 years, a lot of my guests have become friends. Yes. And that's been incredibly gratifying. And it means a lot. And they're, they really are. And again, it's we all kind of help each other in the mm-hmm. comics community. And especially once we become friends and it's like, Hey, what can I do to help you? And you'll, you'll learn that as we go on in our discussion. Oh yes. Yeah. And John, I'm going to say, yeah, those long form um, war balloon episodes that has helped me get through my, you know, my yard work, you know? So yeah. Thanks man. No, that's awesome. Truly. I mean, that's a, that's a great compliment. And that is, that's the beauty of podcast, man. We're inside your head. Yes. What do you, you know, and that's, and that's kind of interesting and I'm sure you've re- I'm sure you've had this happen to you, Jason, when you've met listeners and stuff. And it's like, God, I feel like I know you because mm-hmm. I'm listening to you all the time. And it's true. I, I try to imagine the listener as the third person in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Siskel, the great film critic, yes, um, who I got to know a bit before he passed away because of my my time in radio. Mm-hmm. He loved this one afternoon uh, talk show, uh, Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. And they were very, very funny. And it was just a great conversational show. And he would say, when I'm driving around the city and listening to their show, it's like my two funniest friends are in the back seat mm-hmm. having a conversation and yes. I'm driving around. And yeah, that's the vibe that I try to get with, with Word Balloon. I mean, that and also another influence of mine for years, the various comic book interview magazines that were happening in the 80s and 90s. Yes. Uh, we just lost uh, to covid David Anthony Kraft, who did Comics Interview, and David had a rock and roll music background along with his comics and nerd culture background, and he would do these incredible issues. You should really look for them on eBay or in dollar bins at cons. These magazines are so great. Amazing Heroes, the Fantagraphics mainstream publication was another one, and it's fun talking to Wade and Kurt Busick and people like that, that contributed to amazing heroes back in the eighties and nineties. Um, a comics journal, of course, comes to mind. Comics journal was a little more the PBS of, uh, of comic book publications. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a massive NPR and PBS fan, but yeah, that was, that was kind of, all right, I better wear a suit because I'm going to be in the comics journal. Whereas I always felt amazing hero and, and yes. uh, comics interview was much more relaxed, but no, those, Reading those uh, were a massive influence to me on uh, the way I wanted to conduct interviews, both in uh, radio mm-hmm. and also eventually here on uh, on the podcast platform. Because um, I, I know what you're talking about, because I still have a um, couple amazing heroes that I bought back in the 80s. One focused cool. on the Watchmen. Yeah, I have those, yep. And then one focusing um, on, like, I think, like, a few months after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Sure, you sure, know. I remember that one. <sighs> yeah, yeah, man. No, it was it was as much uh, a must buy for my pull box as any monthly issue, mm-hmm. and um, and also it, it would introduce me to titles and be, be like, oh, I never heard of Eternity Smith, which was like kind of a Rip Hunter time travel mm-hmm. comic. And I'm like, I'd check that out. This this art looks cool, and these or uh, Mike Gust- uh, Gustavich. Mm-hmm. And the Justice Machine. Oh, and yeah. and it's funny. Bendis was telling me that one of his earliest jobs in comics was being Mike's assistant. And uh, Mike used to sell, as you likely remember, in the seventies and eighties, 
they would do portfolios mm-hmm. and you could mail in and you'd get like, you know, a bunch of prints of various uh, characters. Like I have one that I bought recently. It's an old one and it's um, Brent Anderson, the Astro City co-creator. Yes. And it's just him drawing Kazar. And it was like 12 prints of Kazar. Because correct me if I'm wrong, because didn't he do a Kazar series back in the eighties? I'm I'm assuming he did. I didn't read that series necessarily. Um, I have read Kazar off and on. Yeah. Um, He probably did. And I I would assume so, because that's probably why he was selling a portfolio that way. But the guys who created the studio, um, Mike Kaluta, Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Jones, uh, Barry, um, Barry Windsor Smith and um, uh, Swamp Thing, uh, Bernie Wrightson. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, had a loft together in New York and started putting stuff out as the studio collectively. And one of their first big independent successes was just doing successes, was doing a, um, a portfolio of fantasy uh, sketches and drawings, paintings that they did. Mm-hmm. And it massively sold. And it really convinced them to leave comics mm-hmm. on a regular basis and start working for the the fantasy magazines and yeah. also doing uh, paperback covers and the like. And it really is one of the great uh, 80s creator uh, success stories of, mm-hmm. you know, having success beyond DC and Marvel. Yeah. And other, other uh, artists followed in their wake and, you know, would license the characters through DC or Marvel, like mm-hmm. Brad Anderson and Kazar. But, oh, yeah, no, those are... Those are fun to find, and uh, yeah, if you're if you're a comics art fan, you can't beat them. Yeah. Okay. All right. So sorry, John. So I'm going to continue on a little bit. Just no, so no I... tangents. All right, all man. good. So, okay. So all right now, now before we started, well, we've already started. <laughs> before we start the interview, I want to thank a few podcasters that helped guide me and inspire me to do this. So you know, first off, I want to thank John Mayo of the Comic Book Page Podcast and Drew of you know comics for fun and profit um for letting me contribute to their podcast you know so thank you very much guys i also want to give a big shout out to chris marshall of the collected comics library podcast um i know chris has already you know has spoken in the past about you know um about you know always bringing integrity when we do uh you know to these pod you know comic book podcasts so chris thank you very much and for you john you know Thank you, John. Thank you for inspiring me to do this. Thank you for inspiring me, you know, um, you know, to do these interviews. You know, um, I've been doing these interviews off and on for the last five years, but more consistently in the last few months. So, John, again, thank you very much. Oh, dude, my pleasure. I'm in good company. Those are several of my good comic book podcast friends that I've met over the years. And, you know, uh, Chris Marshall is one of those original podcasters, as, as you said in your introduction, I always call us like, I, I always think there are classes of podcasters and yes. I align them with astronauts yes. and um, you know, yeah. So I always say, well, my, my, my stock line, I just used it on Saturday when I signed to the Comic-Con guys. Uh, I quote George Burns, uh, the great comedian who was talking about his old radio sitcom that he had and uh, with his wife, Gracie Allen, Burns and Allen. And he said, you know, back in the 30s, we were all in the top 10. There were only eight of us. And that, that's kind of the case with comic book podcasters, too. Yes. Because, um, yeah, you know, Chris started a couple months before me. Augie DeBleek yes. started a couple months before me from Pipeline and originally from Comic Book Resources. He continues to do Pipeline as a blog. Mm-hmm. But he was a great um, 
reviewer of, of uh, you know, comics back in the day, and certainly Chris, mm-hmm. John Mayo, and John, I think, came through on the Comic Geek Speak guys. Yes. And, uh, and they, they started like two months before me. A lot of us, I think, were all inspired by um, the article that was in Wire magazine, Wired magazine mm-hmm. in um, February of 05. Yes. And um, it was a big thing about, because podcasting was brand new. Mm-hmm. Adam Curry started in 04. I mean, he's really the podfather. And I love that guy. I think he's a tremendous, mm-hmm. he was, he was a great broadcaster. He worked at MTV. Yes. I mean, the guy, the guy's, you know, reputation and, and experience speaks for itself. But um, yeah, it was that. And then also I'll, I'll uh, admit to, and then with no uh, hesitation, uh, another great early um, comic book radio show out of Texas, mm-hmm. fanboy radio, Scott Hines's show. Oh, and he, uh, he was broadcasting, from the Texas Christian University, you know, college radio station, mm-hmm. but uh, they were running their signal online, so you could hear them online, and um, that was one of my early inspirations because I, I was a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would get big guests, and probably still does. I'll confess, I haven't listened in a while. I sometimes I don't want to hear other people because I don't want to be influenced by their interviews, and I want to come to guests organically as much as I can. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, um, uh, Scott Scott show. I was listening, and I'm like, oh, I would have asked this question. I would have asked that question. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why why not do it? And also, the inception of Word Balloon started as a. It was going to be a video documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, a buddy of mine uh, was a great videographer, and I saw him videotaping um, great creators at local shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did an incredible interview with Al Feldstein, one of the great EC and mag magazine founders um really important uh, to um bill gaines mm-hmm. the creator of man and the creator of uh, ec comics and stuff um and i'm like we should do that and we should do a comic book documentary about yes. chicago-based either books or yes. creators mm-hmm. and um so we hit up max allen collins yes. because he had done the dick tracy comic strip and also mm-hmm the road to perdition graphic novels, which of course led to the Tom Hanks film. Mm-hmm. And um, we also talked to Brian Azzarello. He was in yes. the midst of hundred bullets and um, Moonstone books, a local comic and, and uh, prose publisher mm-hmm. who had a lot of great crime uh, licenses at the time. They also had the night stalker, which I'm, you know, I'm a massive fan of that 70s show, the Kolshak, uh, the night stalker. And they were making comics and, and novels of Kolshak. So yeah, good stuff, man. And really they get great writers to do it. And yeah. artists. And uh so anyway, that was um we, we started making the uh the video uh documentary and John, uh my my buddy videographer, he got busy mm-hmm. uh with, with paying gigs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, we're sitting on this stuff and it, it had been these interviews had been sitting for four months, and I'm like, I want to put them on now. Yeah. So I started wordballoon.com and I uh and also at the time um oh god the guy who created uh comic book resources um and he sold it in the last few years shame on me that i don't remember his name mm-hmm. but he was doing the occasional mp3 interview on the cbr website mm-hmm. and um and he uh he would uh you know he had um uh mike um hellboy um 
Oh, Mike Mignola. Mike Mignola, thank you, and uh, and Greg Rucka. Yes. And I think maybe Mark Wade as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And I'm going to start my own website. So I did that. And thankfully, the way to get word out back then, so many comic book people in uh, back then before, um, really before MySpace and uh, Facebook and, and Twitter mm-hmm. and the like and stuff, they had websites and they had message boards. Mm-hmm. And some even had... Uh, collected with uh, message boards like Bendis had Jinx World, mm-hmm. and Jinx World was Bendis and Mike Oming and B Clay Moore, and um, they're the three that come to mind right away. Mm-hmm. A fraction might have had a board over there, but then also there was Comic Block, and mm-hmm. Comic Block was where Gail Simone and Jeff Johns and Rucka and Brubaker they were all there. Mm-hmm. And so I I'm like, all right, I started WordBalloon.com mm-hmm. May 10th, 2005. And I would go to the message boards and say, hey, you guys are obviously fans of Mark Wade. I just did this Mark Wade interview. Here's the link. Yeah. So, and that's really what, you know, started building my audience. Oh, okay. That's, that's great. Um, I want to ask like for the, you know, those early days in podcasting, you know, um, because this is all before Skype. Yes. You know, like what kind of, you know, what kind of um, equipment did you use? Especially sure. And then you guys, and back then, I think even, correct me if I'm wrong, like even back in 2011 when I started, you were doing telephone interviews, correct? Correct. And there was, um, coming from broadcasting, there was a piece of equipment that was a good uh, telephone interface where you could plug your phone in, phone line into it, mm-hmm. plug your microphone into it, mm-hmm. and uh, the audio you would get back would be who, whomever you were calling. So yeah, for the longest time, I used. I wish I could tell you the name yeah. of the uh, uh, thing. I wonder if it even still exists, given the simplicity of cloud technology and Skype and everything else. When when CNN mm-hmm. and a lot of the cable news divisions uh, started using Skype video interviews, I was laughing because I'm like, look at where Skype is now. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> Skype was a wonderful. I mean, you know, Jesus, to the point where long distance phone calls are a memory. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't have to do them anymore. And, and you know, uh, God, I, I, I've, I, I'm sure you know a million people that aren't podcasting and just are calling their parents via Skype or other friends and relatives and stuff. And yeah, and, and man, I'll tell you, I mean, again, what a, what a ridiculous and unfortunate last year and a half things have been since COVID, Mm -hmm. but thank God we've got the technology. Yes. And I mean, I, again, I mean, my broadcast career goes back uh, pre faxing. I mean, fax faxes were a massive boom to, (laughs) uh, to us. I mean, they existed, but uh, they weren't as, uh, you know, prevalent as they had become in the eighties. So -hmm. that was like a big, like step up and everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember even in the nineties, um, when I was covering professional boxing and radio yes. and stuff, and some of in the press room, some of the international guys hogging the fax machine to either receive stuff or get articles uh, that they were doing sent out. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, it's going to take an hour to send the thing. You're an asshole. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> we're busy. You know, there's 20 people waiting in line for that thing. I, so yeah, it was that, pretty funny. That's why I'm kind of laughing because back then it was like, how long did it take for one page to go through? It's not right. like nowadays where it's like you can have like, you know, as long as you don't put more than 10, it'll just like feed through so like in well, seconds. You know? 
and who faxes these days compared to? I mean, I suppose businesses still do, but yeah, I mean, yeah, no, yeah, you, you know, uh, you attach a, a PDF to a uh, to a to an email and you send it out, man. I mean, God, thank thank God for cloud technology. Honestly, another general uh, you know statement from me: the democratization of citizen media mm-hmm. through podcasting and all of the wonderful software mm-hmm. that these innovative people have come up with in the last 25 years mm-hmm. has just been incredible. Yes. And, and truly I, I am so in debt to those people mm-hmm. and you know, whenever I do get a chance to meet, I mean, I've never met, met Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban's the guy who invented streaming audio, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where he really, as we, as much as we know him as, you know, shark, shark tank and all the various things that we know Mark Cuban about and all the sports teams, radio.com was really his baby mm-hmm. that he created. And the only reason why he created it was, I forget what he might've been in Texas at the time, mm-hmm. but he missed Indiana basketball, Indiana university mm-hmm. basketball. And he wanted a way to be able to listen to it. And the techie that he was, he came up with the uh, streaming technology. And I mean, now, it's, I mean, we almost take it for granted how easy it is. And I love, you'll forgive my schadenfreude about this, but especially I don't hold anybody personally responsible for my radio career. If not ending, let's say at least being suspended for the last year and a half, because I got downsized because of COVID again, I understood. I mean, it's really, it's economics. And if you're not making advertising money, you can't pay people and you're going to have to cut back. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But that said, I really love the fact that I've been podcasting for 16 years mm-hmm. and all of the major media companies now really getting into podcasting and don't see it as a cute little thing, yes. but see it as a necessity. And also the stuff shirts that really have this thing figured out. Oh, I'll, let me tell you how podcasting works. And even one of my former bosses, mm-hmm. it was like, well, you know, this is the way to do it. And I'm like, you know, nothing. Because guess what? I've been doing it for 16 years. I know nothing. It is, you know, nobody knows. Nobody knows what makes a great podcast other than great content. And thankfully enough, people finding out about it and and sharing it with people. It's that simple. Yeah. And and beyond that, everything else is a Mm crapshoot. And I mean, really, I so I kind of love them bumping their heads against the walls and also being tied down by their corporate structures yeah. and it's the tortoise and the hare mm-hmm. only this time the hare wins and I'm the hare mm-hmm. and even at 56 guess what I'm faster than you knuckleheads mm-hmm. and I know how to juke and innovate and go oh I got to use this now okay and, and truly I'm constantly learning yeah. and younger podcasters are using applications of uh, editing and uh, video and the like that I'm like oh how does that work well I've never used that before and um, yeah, I mean, both in audio and video. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant learning process, mm-hmm. which is great because, yeah. you know, I'm a middle-aged white guy and mm-hmm. I, and I uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm setting my career and, you know, starting to think about retirement. The hell with that. Are yeah. you kidding me? This yeah. has been like the greatest thing in the world mm-hmm. that I started doing 16 years ago. I have no intention of stopping. Mm-hmm. And I constantly tell my friends in broadcasting if they don't have a podcast, what are you waiting for? Take your audience with you. It's just like Robert Kirkman back in 2009 with the manifesto mm-hmm. that he made and said, leave DC and Marvel, keep your good ideas for yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, God, I mean, look at, look at the announcements that were made last week yes. with uh, all the Substack uh, people, yes. the creators that are going to Substack. 
uh, every time I think, well, all right, this is what the playing field looks like. Somebody new enters the field. There's a new way to put comics out there. And it just revives and refreshes the conversation and the possibilities for creators. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that um, it also, too, is they can reach a wider audience. Because like I've, you know, like I've always, uh, because in some interviews um, with like, um, uh, you know, like uh, I was talking to um, Michael W. Conrad and Noah Bailey because they released um, Double Walker on Comixology. Okay. You know, so the thing is, so, you know, um, like um, James Tinian the fourth, um, sure. um, Scott Snyder, Snyder. when they yeah. do um, Substack, you know, they, they, reach, they reach a wider audience because like someone in, on a small island in Lan, um, on Lanai in, 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 you know, close to, you know, it's off the shores of Kauai. Yes. You know, there's no comic book store. And if they, and if their store has, if their grocery store has comics, it's always going to be Batman, Spider-Man or something, but nothing more. And, but now it's like, if they have internet in their homes, they're going to go, Hey, what is this new thing from Scott Snyder? I've never seen this. Yes. Yes. No, it's amazing. And you're right. I mean, really, uh, and it's funny, again, going back to my, my, one of my recent episodes, um, when I talked to Matthew Clickstein and Roger uh, Friedman, who um, they made the podcast Comic-Con Begins, and it's all about the history of San Diego. Um, you know, for the longest time, sci-fi and nerd fandom was very local. Maybe yeah. you had a high school club or whatever. And now, thanks to the internet, my God, the amount of information you get, mm-hmm. the awareness of any hobby or pursuit that you could find online really informs you in, in ways that um, God, you know, as you said, comics at the grocery store, first place I used to buy comics was my uh, pharmacy, my local pharmacy that Mm -hmm. was uh, down the street from me. And it was actually one of my first paying jobs, um, Alpine pharmacy. And they had a spinner rack Uh and they had a magazine uh, section as well. And I remember buying creepy and eerie there Mm -hmm. as much as I would buy DC and Marvel books. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, so that was my little bubble. And I had a couple friends that like comics as well. So like literally there was like five of us talking. That yeah. was it. Yeah. And now, good Lord, like you said, I mean, you could find out about indie books and not only name creators like James and Scott and mm-hmm. people like that, you know, obviously to uh, John uh, Hickman uh, joining Substack, mm-hmm. but also, yeah, it's like, um, you know, someone will retweet an image from a creator that you've never heard of. And it's like, wait a minute, that looks really good. Yes. And you read the cell line. And it's like, well, I like espionage stories yeah. and uh, DC and Marvel really aren't doing that many espionage stories. I'd like to read more of them. Mm-hmm. Crime comics, romance, everything, every genre. And especially in the last 20 plus years or so mm-hmm. that um, genres are exploding again in mm-hmm. a way that in prior decades, there were always one or two here and there, you know, you had preacher in the nineties, you had uh, David Lapham and, and, um, and his crime comics, you know, back in the nineties and stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of interesting stuff in every genre horror has never had the time that it's currently having. And I mean, God, you know, again, I'm very fortunate being in Chicago and very deep comic stores like Chicago comics and mm-hmm. my buddies at challengers comics yes, mm-hmm. and my, my buddies at all. Oh, yeah. Comics and Skokie suburban Chicago, uh-huh. you know, they go deep in every genre mm-hmm. and like horror has its own section. 
Yeah. And that's amazing. As opposed to, you know, House of Mystery and, um, yeah. uh, oh God, what was the, Where Monsters Dwell for two, uh, 70s examples of, uh, of Marvel and DC. You might get one or two, you know, Mm -hmm. titles and stuff. And now it's, like I said, I mean, God, uh, Vault and Aftershock and all these publishers, they, they'll do the occasional superhero thing, but their milieu really is all the other genres. Yes. Because they're smart and they're like, well, DC and Marvel kind of have that stuff sewed up. Yeah. yeah, every now and then you'll get a good independent superhero comic. Um, I don't know about you, Jason. I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, when um, creators come to me mm-hmm. with their pitches, and I'll be honest, I'm kind of jaded where it's like, oh, uh, there's enough zombie books out there. Thank mm-hmm. you. Oh, yeah. There's enough vampire books out there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's really got to be special for me to take notice. And I will kind of, I mean, who, first of all, who the hell am I? But I mean, it's very flattering that a lot of people want to be on Word Balloon. But the reality is, too, uh, it's it's a crowded field out there. That's good and bad. And it's tough to get the word out. Um, I can only rely on my own personal taste Uh of whether I want to talk to somebody or not. Yes. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Ken Jansen's is doing a great um, book at uh, Virus Comics for Heavy Metal. Uh And um, God, it's a time travel book and shame on me. Um, the the title is escaping me right now, um, but it's a time travel book, and I'll be like, well, I'm a sucker for time travel books. Mm-hmm. Declan Shelby has a really good image book right now about time travel, and I'm enjoying that as well. I think that's time after time. Yes, okay, um, right. yeah, oh. yeah. I'm gonna. I, I, I should. I I feel bad. I should almost uh, find Ken's uh, Ken's book to give it's, him the credit he deserves for his book. So I'll, I'll have it for you in a second. Also, too, because the thing is that that sounds pre- that sounds pretty good. Now it's like now you're getting me interested in you know Ken's book because now I want to check that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, one second. Where the hell is it? Um, is it Premonition? No. Hindsight. Thank you, okay. Jesus. So yeah, Hindsight is the book, and yeah, it's cool. It's um, it's a cop chasing a scientist. And uh, the scientist has gone back to the Jack the Ripper era. And that's another era where you could say, all right, we've had enough Jack the Ripper stories. What new things do you have to say about it? But I give Ken a lot of credit. He actually has Mm -hmm. come up with an interesting spin on on the story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, thank God Westerns are back. You know, I mean, it's, again, every, every geek, uh, geek, every uh, geek genre, geek, maybe that's a new word for us, Uh, (laughs) you know, but uh, yeah, you know, every geek genre is really being explored yes. and that's fantastic. And then again, we're, we're, it's, it is really a new golden age. These last 20 plus years yes. have really been a, a new golden age. Yes. And then the other thing too, you know, like you said, it's like, you, you know, it, it's, it's an honor that all these comic book creators, you know, want to come up and come on your show to, you know, promote their book. Oh yeah. But the good, but you know, I think also too, um, as you mentioned, you know, like there's also, you know, a whole bunch of other podcasts. So if you're not available, you know, they can, okay, you know, Hey, you know, maybe oh, sure. on this time, but you know, I'll oh, go yeah. to this podcast and me, you know, and you know, because it, like you said, there's enough room at the table for everybody. A hundred percent, man. And also it's, it's really, and I believe this in terms of me gathering listeners and I would assume this is the same for the comic creators. And I really feel a kinship with them as far as creating something and trying to build a following for it, build an audience. Mm-hmm. It's Johnny Appleseed. It's one at a time. I mean, that's the Johnny Appleseed legend that he was planting apple tree seeds one at a time and hoping they grow. And, you know, I mean, that's the way the folklore went. And I really believe in that. And I mean, again, starting in 05, 
when I got my first 50 listeners on, on uh, an episode, I was thrilled. Uh, the big leap forward mm-hmm. was uh, Brian Bendis. I, I, you know, I started in May of 05 mm-hmm. and by uh, August of 05, I had done enough interviews where I made a data CD filled with MP3 files mm-hmm. and started handing them out to my favorite creators. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, and thankfully at that point, cause I started in 2005, I had been in Chicago radio. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Cause you know, like I said, it's my 16th anniversary is for word balloon. At that point I had been in Chicago radio for 15 years mm-hmm. starting in 1990. Mm-hmm. So I, I was comfortable conducting interviews mm-hmm. yeah. I spent a long time in Chicago sports radio mm-hmm. and believe me I had my if you know your Saturday Night Live I had my Chris Farley show interviews uh remember that thing you did that was awesome you know and sometimes I even can't even help it but even now when I'll have a celebrity on and be like I gotta tell you this moment was fantastic and I don't know that was awesome but you know it is in my mind like damn it I'm doing a Chris Farley stop it stop it you're better than that but um but no I had the confidence in these initial we're balloon yes. episodes to hand out these data CDs and I had one to Rucka and Brubaker and Brian Bendis um uh, uh Gail Simone yes. a lot of these people and that kind of bore fruit and mm-hmm. you know um god uh Rucka it's like I'm gonna listen to this when I uh, when I get back on the plane. I don't think he actually could because mm-hmm. it was a data MP3 oh, CD. Okay. But even just saying that, yes. and no, that really helped. And again, I would go to their message boards and say, "Hey, I do this," yes. or they would have their their email contacts back then. And it's like, "This is what I do. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have you on the show." Yeah, and 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 I would put in there. Oh, by the way, you know, I've I've been working for CBS Radio. Uh, doing sports interviews and things like that. And not, not necessarily to entice them with the sports angle, oh, but, you know, CBS, it's like, all right, there's some cachet to CBS, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, having having worked at, I mean, they were all local radio stations mm-hmm. and television stations. But, yeah, man, I kind of, that's where I uh, really kind of developed my style mm-hmm. and, and got comfortable, and especially in sports talk radio, mm-hmm. because we all start off wanting to be, Walter Cronkite or Edward R. Murrow, and very straight and very, you know, oh, you got to do it this way. And then sports talk, especially uh, the way it organically grew in the major cities. And I mean, Chicago was, New York was first, but Chicago was pretty early. I mean, it was 1992 mm-hmm. when my station started the score. And I got on within the first four months of them being formed. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of our guys were just local fans. Mm-hmm. And especially, just like you'll hear a great New York accent, you'll hear a great Chicago accent. Like, hey, I'm talking to Michael Jordan. So, Michael, let me tell you about the last game. Mm-hmm. All right? I didn't understand why you threw to Scotty. Horace is standing there right by the basket. What the hell happened? Uh-huh. And, I mean, and it's that kind of, you know, hanging out, hanging out of your ass, kind of straight from the hip uh, shooting, you know, street mm-hmm. talk. And it's like, I like that. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, so, so um, once I get comfortable with somebody – Yes. And, and especially first-timers, that initial 10 minutes, then everybody loosens up, and it's like, all right, hey, we're yeah. just talking. Yeah. And, and then luckily, I can start off with, hey, we're just talking in that kind of attitude. And, and also, unlike sports talk radio, that can get very combative. Mm-hmm. Um, a word to the wise that might be other podcasters that are just getting started and doing guest interviews, these people are your guests. Mm-hmm. And that's the operative word, guest. You yes. wouldn't invite somebody into your living room and sit them down and go, hey, you know why you suck? Yeah, Let me yeah. tell you what I didn't like about um, uh, Infinite uh, Frontier, yes. uh, Joshua Williamson. 
I really hated X, Y, and Z. And man, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've listened to over the years where these hosts are putting their foot in their mouths uh, in terms of doing that. And it's like, who the A, who the hell are you? Yes. And B, um, it's okay to disagree with something. Find a polite way and an articulate way to say, wow, that didn't seem to resonate with fans. Why? Mm-hmm. I, I remember one of my, and I felt so bad because we were, we were friends by this point. And I had Matt Fraction on when he had done the Fear Itself event for Marvel. Oh, yes. And that kind of ended with a thud. Yeah. And it was kind of overcommitted and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Matt, what happened? Mm-hmm. And that's all I I mean, and it was, you know, people had kind of spoken their piece about it. And I felt like I just spanked Matt because Matt was so, I don't even know what the right word would be, but just kind of, yeah, like kind of embarrassed by the thing. And it's like, oh man, that's the last thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm asking from an intellectual standpoint, because here's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. All of these people, even the stuff like new Star Trek that I hate with a passion, yes. these people are not setting out to making lousy yeah. content. Mm-hmm. They are trying very hard. And in their minds, they're making the best thing that they can make at that moment, yes. whether the uh, inhibitors are deadlines mm-hmm. or uh, a network saying, no, you can't do that. You got to rewrite it. Whatever it is, there is more than one reason. And I'm not looking for dirt. Mm-hmm. I'm saying as part of the creative process, which I try to examine in my conversation is as well, okay, that was a misfire. Mm-hmm. Can you step back and think of what maybe happened wrong? That's yeah. where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like, it's okay to disagree, but yeah. be tactful yes. with your disagreement. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, yeah, I don't know what you were thinking because, you know, uh, Superman would never act that way. Or, mm-hmm. Good Lord, I saw Chuck Austin get his ass handed to him. I'm, I'm waiting in line for a mm-hmm. Darwin Cook sketch. Yes. Back, back in one of the early Wizard shows. Mm-hmm. And Darwin and Chuck are sitting next to each other uh-huh. in Artist Alley. Darwin's doing all these amazing sketches and stuff, and I'm in line. And I see this guy and his girlfriend go up to Chuck Austin. And it's like, hi. Oh, hey, how you doing? So you write the X-Men? Yeah, yeah. Um, boy, you write the Juggernaut a lot. Yeah, I do. He's one of my favorite characters. Well, I got to tell you, man, you know nothing about the Juggernaut because uh, I, ca- I can't disagree more with what you're doing in the book. And all of a sudden, the girlfriend's like, yeah, you're right. He, he, he's right. Uh, you really don't know the Juggernaut. And she's like, well, I guess we can disagree. Oh, no. I've been buying this book for years. You've just been writing it for over a year. You don't know what you're doing. And, and the, they walk away very smug. And I'm just like, and, and Darwin can't help but hear this stuff because he's right next to him. And he's like, I cannot believe what just happened. I'm so sorry. And all of us were in line and just shaking. And we're like, yeah, man, that's terrible. I got out of line for Darwin's line to get a sketch. I never got a Darwin Cook sketch. That was my only opportunity to get one. Shame on me. But I felt so bad for Chuck. And I'm like, Chuck, you used to draw Miracle Man, didn't you? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, draw me a Miracle Man sketch. And he did. And I still have it. And, I'm, and it's one of my favorite pieces that I have. And I've had Chuck on the show. I had a, This was before I was podcasting, I believe. Because it was when New Frontier was coming out. Mm-hmm. And I, and, you know, and I mean, and again, thank God for cons, because just like any other fan, you could walk up to Darwin and say, God, I'm loving New Frontier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a few months earlier, I, I told him that at a different convention. And he was great because he opened up and he goes, yeah, but he goes, do you like it? You know, in the magazine floppy format, mm-hmm. he goes, I was really a bear. And I'm like, hey, 
I want this thing no more expensive than Dark Knight Returns was, yes. you know, 15 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. You better make it that price point. Yes. And they're like, well, the only way we can do that is make it a floppy. So Darwin was just beside himself. And I'm like, well, you know, they're going to collect it, man. I'm like, your art's too good. I mean, it's a beautiful story. I'm like, I get it though. So mm-hmm. Darwin was amazing. And I got to know Darwin before he passed away. Never came on Word Balloon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I treasure the, the times that we hung out and had great conversations. He was a sweetheart of a guy. Mm-hmm. And it really, it, 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 I, when I think of him, I, it, it upsets me that he's still not around because he was tremendous. And we need him. We yeah. really need him. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I really felt for Chuck. And um, subsequently, he's been on like Word Balloon two or three times. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. even on last year because he had a new sci-fi book. That's I, really I, cool. Yes, I, I, I remember that that interview last year's interview because i, I think you guys talked about that story but the come back, it was like when i heard it, i was like oh my god i cannot yeah. <laughs> well have you had you heard enough and it was at the same it's it was at the wizard chicago show that this happened and then years later this can i say can i swear a little yeah just yes all right fine because this asshole uh-huh. uh and his buddy uh this asshole walks up to rob liefeld's uh table his his asshole buddy is uh, videotaping it on his phone. Oh god! And uh, he hands him a How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way book to Rob Liefeld and goes, "Here, you need this more than I do." Oh. And it's like it was awesome because he posted it thinking, "Hey, man, I really got Rob Liefeld." And honestly, there's a little hyperbole here, but pretty much the entire comic creator community uh-huh. and every good fan is like, "Hey, fuck you! You're yeah. an asshole." Rob doesn't need your bullshit. And by the way, he doesn't need your approval either. Yeah. And, and truly I never, I never talked to Rob about it on, on the pods because I know it bumped. I mean, truly it was so sad. I saw it happen. I, I had already planned on talking to Rob about booking him again. Cause he had already been on word balloon a couple times in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey man, um, first of all, I heard what happened. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. And I said, and you know that you're always welcome back to, on word. Balloon. Uh-huh. In fact, Rob, like identified me by my voice at my first San Diego where it was after hours at the Hyatt uh-huh. and um, I can't even remember who I was talking to, but he's sitting with Jeff Loeb mm-hmm. and he goes, Hey, you're the voice. And I'm like, pardon me. He goes, word balloon. I'm like, yeah. He's like Rob Liefeld. I'm like, yeah. And you know, and I had already had Jeff on Jeff smiling and laughing. All, and he's like, I love your show. And I'm like, well, that's fucking amazing. Yes. Because I really respect you and what you've done. Mm-hmm. And you're welcome on my show anytime. And I'm, I'm always happy when he comes back. He came yes. back early on uh, during the pandemic. And we had an amazing conversation. And people were even shitting on him there. And again, back to my, you know, this mm-hmm. is my guest. I really had to kind of yell at the chat of the people that were being jerks. And it's like, look, I understand. Rob has put out some Kickstarter starters in fairness that he hasn't fulfilled yet. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that now in this independent show, but while he's on my show, it's like, this is my guest. Yes. And Rob is here because we're, we're friends. Yes. And I'm really sorry for whatever problems you have with Rob, but um, you're not going to air him here. You're not going to air those problems here. Yeah. And, and that's a choice because I do think it's fair in an open forum at a convention or as I do open things up to questions and comments yes. that if it were completely just the room being the room mm-hmm. that it's fair to ask him about this stuff in a polite way. Yeah. First of all, they weren't polite, but secondly, 
I used, we used to get this on uh, on sports radio too, where fans would call all hot, and I I have the microphone now, so you must listen to me. And it's like, no, we have the volume control on the microphone, <laughs> and we literally would fade them down. So I really think that the coach sucked in this one, and it was like fantastic. And it's like, and he's gone. Let's move to the next caller, and they'd call up. So you can't do that, and it's like, of course we can. It's yeah. our radio station. Word yeah. balloon is my platform. <laughs> so I, you know, again. Uh, I will every now and then I will ask a pointed question, but yeah. I will try and do it in as fair a way as possible. And truly, um, I, unfortunately, I think as great as the internet has been, there's also the the downside of that, yes. where jerks feel yeah. very free to be uh, anonymous I, with yeah. their complaints. Yeah. And I always tell some of my creators that get bummed out about these guys, I'm like, you are not going to win an argument with Darth Vader 28. Yeah. I don't know how to break because nobody knows who the hell Darth Vader 28 yes. is. I go, it could be a 12 year old kid. Yeah. It could be a person who has uh, troubles, let's say from mm-hmm. a, from an intellectual or yeah. emotional standpoint. Just don't even, don't worry about it. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. And the thing is too, it's like, um, because the other thing that I've also, like I, John, it's like when I interview creators is I always, remind myself that they are my guests, you know, um, you know, um, and you know, that's why I always, you know, my format is always send them the questions first to look at them to look over because I don't want to ask a question during the interview. And they're like, you know, then, then there's that, um, yeah, dead, dead air. Yeah. Or that uncomfortable moment. Oh, you know, okay. You know, but yeah, but, but, but yeah, it's like, for me, it's like, they're my guests and I want them to promote their stuff. Right. And well, again, it's you're having them on because you like what they make. Yeah, it's that basic. Yeah. I don't do reviews on my show. Yeah, uh, my my arbitration is I like your book or I like what you've made. I want to talk to you. Yeah, and sometimes there are people that come out of the blue and it's like, hey, can you check out my comic? Fine. Don't send me the uh, you know ad package that just has a splash page or whatever. It's like uh, if you've got a book, send me the book. Let mm-hmm. me read the book. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's fine. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm I'm tough, and I guess, and and I'm like, um, not not enjoying your art. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a big problem because that's you know eighty percent of what we take in when we read a comic. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, I I you know um, who am I? But I'm like, in my opinion, I'd like to see you maybe work on other books and and maybe build your portfolio a bit. Yeah, please. Contact me when you have new stuff, but I'm not feeling it for your current book. Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. And they're just being. And again, luckily, like you said, there are other podcasts. Yes. That's great. And I'm, I'm thrilled. And God, uh, Kevin Mellon and Dennis Hopeless, uh, I can't even remember the name of their book, but when they first approached me, I had no interest in it. Mm-hmm. And um, they ended up getting a development deal from it. Uh huh. Kevin has since moved to animation. He's with. Um, the guys that do all those uh, Adult Swim cartoons, oh, okay, um, Ghost Street, and I forget the other name of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, he was working on. Um, uh, oh goddamn, FX. Uh, uh, not Hunt, not Hunter. Uh, the Secret Agent uh, cartoon. Which Archer. I, yeah, Archer. Thank you. Oh See, no, yeah. I'm sorry, man. My brain, my brain sucks oh, today. No. I, I went and saw Green Day. Fallout Boy and Weezer last night at Wrigley Field. I saw your I saw your picture. <laughs> I know. I like all of a sudden you could like. I'm sure everybody was tweeting out photos and stuff. 
And yeah, so I stopped later today. I'll post all the other uh, video and photos I took. And it was funny. Mike Norton was blowing me uh, garbage. Like, yeah, get away, old man. You shouldn't be there. And it's like, uh, I got news for you, pal. I was in rock radio when Green Day and Weezer broke through. So they are of my era. So (laughs) relax. You know, I don't know how to break it to you, but I'm an industry person. And I rarely do that. And I know Mike, Mike was just teasing. I love Mike. Mike's, one of my, Mike's like a brother to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's like, uh, just so you know, because I'm sure a lot of people are like, hey, you're like 56. What are you doing at that show? And it's like, well, uh, Green Day is like 30 years old. Yeah. It, so yeah I was 26 it, when I discovered Green Day. You know, and Weezer, fine. I was in my, my early 30s. But still, I'm like, yeah, no, sorry. I'm like, yeah, these guys are my, my I mean, I remember uh Janine Garofalo making a Weezer joke on a Larry Sanders episode and that was you know back in the late 90s and yes stuff. and it's so yeah I'm like well you know she's like I just want to date somebody from Weezer and it's stuff like that and it's like yeah so uh no I mean uh, you know back you know but I mean I'll admit in the last 20 years I, there are less and less bands that I really give a damn about mm-hmm. but yeah no and, and even Fall Out Boy Fall Out Boy's from my hometown Wilmette Wilmette oh, Illinois okay. suburban Chicago so no, I love Fall Out Boy, um, but yeah, I'm like I, I mean, I definitely will feel like an old man at certain content, concerts. But no, I'm like Green Day. I never seen Green Day live. That was I'm like, thank God. Yes. And, and same with Weezer, and it was great being at Wrigley Field, the mm-hmm. ballpark. And the, the last uh, concert I saw there was a few years ago when the Police were on their farewell tour. Wow. And that was the third time I saw the Police. I saw the Police in the early eighties when the ghost in the machine album had debuted and the go-go's opened up for them. Oh my God. They were adorable. Thank oh. you. Hey, Not knowing know. their hardcore rock and roll lifestyle that they were doing backstage, yeah. but we just thought, Oh, I think cute little beboppers and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, guess what kid? I'm living the rock and roll experience more than you ever will. Like, <laughs> okay. Yes, Miss Carlisle. Yeah. So <laughs> did you watch the, um, right. The, there's that Google's documentary that came out. Oh, this it's year. amazing. It's so I good. Watch that. I, yeah. Oh yeah you know, I mean, honestly, my broadcast career, the intent was to get into music radio. Okay. And I was very fortunate because our suburban Chicago high school, new Trier is one of like, it's a very prestigious mm-hmm. high school and a lot of, a lot of money there. A lot of broadcast people yes. from Chicago lived in the town's, that our, our their high school was New Trier. So we had a lot of broadcast equipment and we had a TV station in the seventies and a radio mm-hmm. station in the seventies. And I went to work for them in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. So I was really geared towards broadcasting and music radio. That was going to be my ambition. Oh, okay. And uh, and then I went to Illinois state university okay. and I was the program director of my college music station there. Yes. And I came out of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So I was convinced music was going to be my career. So I was very much in tune mm-hmm. with uh, bands that were breaking mm-hmm. from my high school years, yes. really up until the early 2000s yeah. when I started working for Sporting News Radio mm-hmm. and my main focus was sports. I mean, during uh, a 10-year period, I worked at WXRT, which is one of the big yeah. rock stations still there in Chicago, mm-hmm. and the score, WSCR. And I started working for both of them in 1992 mm-hmm. and ended my association with them in uh, 2001 mm-hmm. and uh it was a great nine years mm-hmm. and it was like living in a love boat or monkeys episode because literally it was like oh hi elvis costello nice to see you oh you're gonna sing a song for us great oh hi john hyatt um hi uh sean colvin and the replacements and um i mean my god boss Skaggs and john fogarty and tina oh. turner 
the buddy guy is a local Chicago guy Mm -hmm. and would come and bring food Mm -hmm. because he just knew everybody at the rock station. It's like, Hey buddy guys bringing lunch. Yay. And it was, you know, fantastic. And he'd have chafing discs. Oh yeah. I made this myself. Absolutely. I have some John. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Thank you, Grammy Award-winning Buddy Guy, one of the greatest blues guitarists ever. So nice to meet you and know you. And uh, the best was the Staples Singers, who were a great soul band. Um, mm-hmm. I'll Take You There is one of their big early 70s songs. Okay. And uh, uh, Respect Yourself. And uh, Mavis is still mm-hmm. with us, thank God, and is mm-hmm. one of the great R&B icons. Mm-hmm. But her dad, Pops, was also in the band. Mm-hmm. And one time in the 90s, they lived on the south side of Chicago, and uh-huh. um, the radio station WXRT and the score, we were on the north side. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they came in, they did this, I mean, um, our, uh, one of our DJs at XRT had a great weekly show called Blues Breakers, uh-huh. and all the great blues legends, and well, still to this day, well-respected in, in the blues communities and stuff. And um, so he has this great sit-down interview with Mavis and Pops. Mm-hmm. And Pops is, you know, in his 70s at this yeah. point. And Mavis, I forget how old. Again, this is like 25 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, they're leaving. And the program is like, Mavis, please let us order you a town car. It mm-hmm. is no problem. And she's like, shut up, Norm. We're from Chicago. We ride the bus. <laughs> and I mean, it was going to be like a two-hour CTA yeah. bus from this, you know, the north side of the city to the south side and stops all along the way. Yeah. And it's like, Mavis, what are you doing? We're happy to do this for you. We love you. And it's like, no, no, we're all neighborhood people. I mean, and Billy Corrigan was like that from Smashing Pumpkins. Uh-huh. He would just show up. And it's just like, this is insane. And then truly, like, or I did breakfast broadcast for the uh, morning show of the rock station. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting next to John Hyatt, and he's tuning in his guitar. And he's like, how's that sound? I'm like, how the hell do I know? You know, or Ray Davies from the Kinks uh, came and, I, and we did a comedy bit together. I was, we did like a little uh, uh, sketch uh-huh. that had a bunch of characters and I was in a sketch with Ray Davies so I can, you know, smile and say, all right, that was cool. And yeah. same with the score. I got to swap jokes with Don Rickles. I got to swap jokes with Shecky Green. Oh my um, God. I met Frankie Avalon and we talked about the beach movies. I mean, it just like all these great, like little, little or my best nerd uh, crossing over to comics moment, uh, Charlie Callis, the old comedian, who if you ever see those Legends of the Superheroes, uh, terrible NBC specials that they made, he was Sinestro. Mm-hmm. And if you ever saw Charlie Callis, he looks like a Gil Kane drawing of Sinestro. And so I told him, and again, I mean, the guy had a massive career films with Jerry Lewis, lots of television, lots of variety shows, a million tonight shows. And he was in town doing live standup and, uh, and he had a handler with him, a younger guy. And I go, Charlie, I got to tell you, I love your comedy. You're very funny, but you will always be Sinestro to me. And his bulging eyes got that much bigger. And he's like, okay, check that off the list. He goes, there's always at least one of you in every city. And this is back in like the mid nineties. He goes, that remembers. Cause it was 20 years ago that he had done that show. And he's like, that remembers that show. and tells me how much I really look like. I'm like, you didn't need makeup, man. He goes, they barely put any on me. They colored my face. That's all they did. I'm like, I get it. You look like Sinestro. It's insane. So yeah, it was that, you know, stuff like that. And yeah, man. So that was like nine years. And that was really one of my first big, radio jobs in Chicago Mm -hmm. and I was so spoiled and I mean Jesus I mean and you know mentioning the concert last night Green Day Weezer and Fall Mm -hmm. Out Boy 
we would be like you could, we could be on the guest list of pretty much any show we wanted to be on uh-huh. because we were from the radio station uh-huh. and they and all the record companies and the concert promoters they respected us yeah so that was kind of cool that is awesome um two questions first off i know you sure. went, now correct me if i'm wrong you went to illinois state That's what right. was your major in <laughs> well you know and honestly it was communications and what a oh, bs I, major no, i mean Mm-hmm. Well, and no disrespect to anyone listening or yourself if you have a communications major. But when I tell people I want to get into broadcast, I'm like, all right, first of all, you don't need a journalism major. You don't need a communications major. Um, you don't. I mean, I, I, I did have good teachers, yes. especially my, my one a good friend who was also a teacher. Uh, her name is Deborah Lesser. Mm-hmm. And she was um, she she was the sponsor of the radio station as well as teaching several broadcast production classes and mm-hmm. stuff. And I And she is still a good friend and mentor to me. Yes. And, uh, and I, and I seek her advice and, and check in with her every so often to say this, I mean, to li- I mean, we, we talk all the time, mm-hmm. but just in terms of career every now and then it'll be like, I'm thinking this, I really want to know what you think. Mm-hmm. Because thankfully, uh, even though she spent the majority of her time in academics, mm-hmm. she still has her finger on the pulse of what's happening. Yeah. So she gets it in a way that a lot of people don't including my own family. I mean, I love my family, obviously. And I've got one of those classic big fat Greek families, like in the movies and stuff. They're totally like that, totally in your life, mm-hmm. you know, every aspect. And while they really are great cheerleaders for what I've done in my broadcast career, mm-hmm. um, they really didn't understand it beyond, wow, John's on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, yeah, John's on the radio, but I'm not, you know, a major star. I'm a reporter. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a sidekick. I, no, John's on the radio. Now John's on TV, and it's like, well, that's really nice. That's great. And there, they're, they're, you know, they're awesome that way. Yeah. But, yeah, unfortunately, very few people in my family really I could sit down with and say, yeah, you know, I'm thinking X or Y. But thankfully, again, having been in Chicago broadcasting for 30 years, mm-hmm. literally, um, I, I, I still have good friends yes. that I worked with that, that always were kind of mentors to me, and I do bounce off ideas with them. And by the same token, like I tell them or told them, I'm like, you guys got to start podcasting. Yeah. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was telling them this 15 years ago. Yes. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Now, some of them are actually doing it mm-hmm. after they've retired from, from broadcasting themselves. They're 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. So they're in their mid-60s and stuff. And they're like, yeah, I'm trying it. I kind of like it. I'm like, of course you like it. Yeah. It's radio without any of the rules. Yes. Do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. You can do a half-hour show. You can do a 10-minute show. You can do a three-hour show. It yeah. doesn't matter. And the other thing too is that I mean, you know, I mean, there's podcasting for almost anything, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be sarcastic or anything, but I mean, someone who wants to do talk about sewing or yeah, yep. not being sarcastic, not at all. I said the same thing. Good friend of mine who sadly passed away young, my friend Megan Reed. She was totally in a needlepoint, yeah. and she's like, John, I've discovered needlepoint video and audio podcasts. I'm like, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Jason, um, one of the new shows, and I know you're you're aware of it, that we just started a few weeks ago. Uh, Gabe Hartman and myself, we started Kinescope. Yes, and it's a look at it's a look at the early days of live television. And um, I mean, again, being a broadcast nerd, Gabe's the one who suggested it, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Would you want to do that?" I'm like, "Are you kidding? I'm a I'm a nerd when it comes to the broadcast in- industry." Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, these are the growing uh, and learning days of yeah. television in america yeah so i'm like of course and i was so shocked to go i mean here's a here's an interesting secret that most of the nerd culture doesn't care about but 
I really searched high and low for any sort of live television review podcast like we're doing. I couldn't find any. Yeah. So I, I'm like, uh, this at, at, in 2021, and, and the fact that podcasting has been around for 17 years, mm-hmm. uh, for there not to be a, a, a podcast about live television the way there are about movies and TV and yes. rewatches of, you know, episode by episode of Gilligan's Island and the Brady mm-hmm. Bunch and the West Wing and mm-hmm. any current show you can imagine, BuzzFeed yes. has an entire network of every nerd show. They've got a, they've got a you know, episode review show of everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't believe someone has not tackled this because not only is the, the period fascinating, all of the actors, like Steve McQueen, this was among his first jobs, Jack Lemmon, yes. um, James Dean, we just did an episode. James Dean only made three major movies, mm-hmm. but he made a couple dozen live TV shows. Mm-hmm. And it is fascinating watching these building block steps in their careers yes. before they became big. And that also goes for write, screenwriters Mm-hmm. and directors yes. and producers because uh, like some of the biggest names uh in film history like Sidney Lumet and John yes. Frankenheimer uh were television directors mm-hmm. before they were movie directors George Roy Hill who made The Sting and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid mm-hmm. yes. all these people cut their teeth on TV and yeah. writers like Padachevsky and of course the great Rod Serling yes. I mean my god Rod Serling had almost 10 years of teleplays that weren't science fiction yes. before he did the Twilight Zone. Yes. So there's that fantastic, and it's on YouTube, interview that he made on Mike Wallace's pre-60 Minutes interview show from 1958 or 59 before the Twilight Zone premiered. And he's like, so what are you doing in sci-fi? You're a prestige teleplaywright yes. of Emmy-winning important mm-hmm. stories. Why, why sci-fi and fantasy? And Rod is very like, well, you don't understand. Actually, I think sci-fi and fantasy can be sophisticated and premiere. And and it's such a great early response for someone that was respected by the mainstream. In yes. like, uh, I don't know how to break it to you, but there is intelligent writing happening mm-hmm. in these circles of science fiction and fantasy. That's another thing. I, I keep promoting this Comic-Con Begins because it's fresh in my mind. If you haven't heard it, Jason, it is so good. Mm-hmm. And it's six... It's six episodes of just the granular evolution of the Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And there are so many great moments. They have Ray Bradbury in the early 70s letting the crowd know how great Mad Magazine is. And they're like, you know what the most important magazine on the stands is today? Mad. Because they've got the guts to take on all of the big industries mm-hmm. and uh, you know advertising and the corporate structure and make fun of it in a way that nobody else has the guts to do it. And that was true, man, especially back then. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always say Mad Magazine was the daily show of its yeah, day. Yeah. It really was. And and true, and especially when you go back to the 50s and 60s, even okay. more so. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so anyway, but that's, I, I love stuff. And it's so great. And that's been, that was one of the great things in the 2000s. When Samuel L. Jackson is like, uh, I read comics. I think they're yes. great. Patrick Stewart. I would love to be Spider Jerusalem if they ever do a Transmetropolitan movie. And it's like these important people yes. in film, Ben Affleck, Kevin Smith, you know, I mean, all the, all these people are like, no, I'm a comic book fan. Mm-hmm. This stuff is good. Yes. And uh, yeah. So honestly we won at the mm-hmm. end of the day, yes. the geeks won. I mean, I was working at um, one of my radio stations five years ago and a couple of the secretaries are like, Hey, you're into comics. Yeah. 
And they're like, okay, we really have gotten into Gotham and The Flash. And one goes, can you explain Professor Zoom and Reverse Flash to me? And I'm like, sit down. Yeah. I'd be glad to. Yeah. It, so, yeah, I mean, it's like, no, we won, man. We well, won. Because, um, well, because, like, I mean, because I remember watching, going back to, um, you, you know, um, when the X-Men movie came out, I mean. 99, yeah. Yeah, they got Patrick Stewart. Yeah, and I mean, they <laughs> added the gravitas to X Men. I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, because, yeah. we, because I'm going to say because you know, like you've mentioned, we, you know, for us, you know, older nerds, we had to sit through. Remember this one, Kathy Lee Crosby's Wonder Woman. Of course, I do. That's the <laughs> Montalban. Montalban <laughs> is the bad guy. Yeah. Oh no. yeah. Um, that doctor, that, that was it, the 1978 Doctor Strange movie. Yeah, all, all those Marvel movies. Yeah, man. No. Red Brown. God, I finally met Red Brown in 2019 at a terrific kind of Connecticut. Uh-huh. And he hugged me. Because I'm like, hey, man, listen. I go, first of all, obviously the first costume. He goes, believe me, I know. I see in the first movie. Thankfully, the second movie, they got the costume right. I go, but seriously, I wish the scripts were stronger mm-hmm. because you were perfect casting as Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Because unlike what they had to do to make Chris, I mean, obviously Chris Evans pumped up and everything, yeah. but and that and that origin scene in First Avenger is so amazing, yeah. and also the way they with CG were mm-hmm. able to skinny him and nerd him down. Reb looked like, especially when he was young, mm-hmm. and still does, yeah. like he's got that body. He's tall. Mm-hmm. He's totally a muscle man. And it's like, no, I believed you as Steve Rogers. And also was enough of an actor to be ordinary guy, Steve Rogers, despite suddenly being juiced up and everything. Uh-huh. And he hugged me. And I'm like, no, man, it's cool. I'm, like, I'm happy to tell you. I'm like, you're great. So no, and, and I mean, now I'm Dana Carvey with the old man he used to do on SNL. And we loved it. When those movies come, came out, it's like, oh my God, there's a Doctor Strange movie. Or the, the five seasons of The Hulk. Yes. Oh my God, the Hulk was a triumph. It's yes. a great show. Yeah. And that music, oh, that haunting piano theme. Good oh. Lord. And when they, in the uh, in the final TV movie, The Death of the Incredible Hulk, when the girl's like, David, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, it's okay. I'm free. And they play the Lonely Man theme. And you're like, oh, man, he's dead. But that's beautiful. He's free. It's okay. So, yeah, man, it's, no, it's stuff like that. We, were, we, we love that shit. Oh, so yeah. now, finally... With the start of, I mean, I'll go back to Blade. I think Blade, the Wesley Snipes Blade, yes. was the beginning of the modern comic book movie era. And and it's even fair to say that there was a period from 97 to Iron Man, mm-hmm. uh, that those nine years, that things leapt ahead as well. But I think the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies hold up. Oh, I yeah. certainly think the Nolan Batman movies are exceptional. Yes. Um, but yeah, I would say it would start with, with uh, Blade. It's it's that great moment in uh, Rocky Balboa, um, the last Rocky movie before Creed, when uh, Rocky in his 50s is fighting Mason Dixon or whatever, and his kid's in the corner, and he's like, listen to them. They all thought this was a joke. Nobody's laughing anymore. And it's like, yeah, that's how I feel about the nerd stuff. And in fact, that, that idiot executive I was telling you about, oh, I understand how podcasts are going. He would roll his eyes while I was talking to these secretaries and stuff. And it's like, hey, jerk off. Mm-hmm. Bad news. You know what the biggest, most successful successful movies have been ever? Mm-hmm. Marvel movies. Yes. F you. Yeah. F you <laughs> and your I know everything. You know dick. 
<laughs> so go back to your little office and try to figure out your little radio career while the rest of us are evolving with the culture yes. and making cool content yeah. and handing you your lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's where radio is right now. And yeah. honestly, if I get another radio job, that's great. Yes. But I am, I am truly, and, I, and I, there's something possibly in the works. I'm very cynical of, uh, you got to prove yourself to me as much as I have to prove myself to you yeah. because uh, I don't need to be jerked around. Yes. Yeah. Because you've been in the, you've been in the radio um, broadcasting business. Well, and, yeah. and thank and truly thankfully, and I, and I mean this yeah. because of people like yourself and the patrons and yeah. my paying sponsors, mm-hmm. as far as companies and stuff, I'm able to stay in my apartment. I'm able to pay my bills and I am incredibly grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't thank you and other patrons enough for that support. And I don't count on that. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to evolve the business and keep trying to bring in, outside money yes. so I don't have to rely on, on patrons, yes. but it really is a great validation of what I'm doing mm-hmm. rather than, you know, broadcasting right, right now, seeing the outside value of, of podcasting. Mm-hmm. But again, they think they know how to do it. And it's like, you don't know nothing. Mm-hmm. You don't know a goddamn thing. Yeah. So just sit back and let me hear your ideas as much as you want to hear mine, mm-hmm. because I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. Because they've been doing it wrong for a really long time. It's a different mm-hmm. company. But um, I still, seeing what they've done in the past, it's like, yeah, that's great. Um, beyond repurposing your radio product, mm-hmm. what other ideas do you have? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, you know, for, you know, for listeners, you know, um, if you've been a long-time listener to Word Balloon, um, if you just started listening to Word Balloon, like within the last week, you know, I, you know, I – I'm part of the league of word balloon listeners, you know, I appreciate um, that, man. No, thank thank, no, no problem. And, and John, I know, you know, uh, even some of, uh, you know, your, um, some of the, um, some of the creators, like I think Brian Meltzer posted on Twitter that he's been a patron for so long time, you know, Brad, uh, that was amazing because really Brad and I both found each other when he was trying to establish his comic book cred, even though he was a long time reader Mm-hmm. And went to school with, uh, I believe he and Johns went to school together and they were college friends. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, and again, I came to him. I mean, you just like everybody, when he followed Kevin Smith on Green Arrow, it's like, all right, let's see what this guy's got. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I met him at a New York convention and I'm like, hey, you got to come on the show. And then I started reading his novels. Mm-hmm. And then my sister, my sister is not a nerd in any way, mm-hmm. but she does like, exciting thrillers and she on her own started reading brad's novels and um uh <laughs> at this point i had known brad for a couple of years and he was coming to town for a book signing yes. near where she lived and i said hey you know brad's coming to town we should go and say hello to him and i said you know well, I, you know he'll sign your book and everything and i said you know yeah i'm, I'm friends with him so brad is autographing books he yes. sees me he gets up from the table comes in line and hugs me and later and and so then he gushes to my sister and he gushes to me and he was incredibly great to me and he, she's like your brother has the best comic book podcast that's like you know forgive me the tallest little person you know it's like that's great whatever that means mm-hmm. to most people and especially this is like in 2009 2010 whatever and we're driving home she's like oh my god you really are friends with him and i'm like <laughs> yeah i told you 
you know, and unfortunately it's kind of been, and again, that's why like my family doesn't quite get what I do. Cause you know, I mean, some of them do. And some of them are like, Hey, I saw you on the discovery channel. You are prophets of science fiction. That was amazing. And I was just like, what? <laughs> I told you about that. I did this TV show. Huh? I don't know if I'll ever watch it. I'm like, I'm not surprised. You go ahead and go about your business. But every now and then, and truly, thankfully, because of her sons, my nephews, yes. their friends are listeners. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, Miss, you know, Mrs. McKinley, you know, your brother has this great show. She's like, my kids' friends listen to your stuff. I'm like, yeah, I know. So you cool. know, guy, it was great last night at, uh, no kidding, at Green Day and Fall Out Boy and Weezer. I'm at the concessions in between bands. And we're going back to our seats. All of a sudden, I hear John Sotras. And I'm like, and this listener's like, I love Word Balloon. I just want to tell you hello and how much I need to. And it's one of my college friends. And he's like, how about that? I'm like, that's amazing. And it's happened to me at other public events at the Chicago Theater when I saw Jim Gaffigan live. A couple a couple other audience members were listeners and stuff. Yeah. And I was again with my sister. And she's like, what do those people want? And I'm like, <laughs> they listen to my show. Uh-huh. Really? And I'm like, yeah, Really? I don't know how to break it to you. Jesus. Those years of reading comics has finally paid off. <laughs> I, seriously, all of my older cousins are manly men that got into carpentry and construction. And I was the nerd that was in the basement in the summertime yeah. watching monster movies in, in the Saturday afternoon instead uh-huh. of getting fresh air and stuff. And it's like, wow, all those wasted weekends have finally paid off, haven't they? And I'm like, yes, they have. Yeah. That's my business now. That's yeah. what I do. Um, you're correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you have was it was it two nephews? Or, or is yeah, it, my two. Yeah, I've got I've got a, a 31 year old nephew and a 27 year old nephew. So are they are they like my you know Uncle John? <laughs> he talks to yeah, no no no. I'm just Uncle John. Although they're awesome, and as they got older and it became adults, they like uh, they, this is. I'm so sorry, Jason. No. But it does make me laugh. Um, they know that I'm a, that I'm a pot smoker, and one oh. year for my for Christmas, they bought me a, a pot grinder that's shaped like the Death Star. Oh my god! And I'm like, guys, that's I'm like, first of all, do not tell your mother you bought this for me. Yeah. I, I mean, Pam, my sister knows, but it's like she kind of frowns upon it, and that's fine. God, I respect that, you know. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I'm like, all right, it's okay, because I mean, really, for the most. When they were little kids, I had to be guarded. I did introduce the oldest one to Star Wars on a Christmas morning when it was running on USA Networks. Mm-hmm. And he five years old, and he looks up at me. He's like, I like Star Wars. And I'm like, yes, you do. And the younger one, there's a terrible story, but I always have to uh, – listen, my, my sister is now divorced. I have no malice at all towards my ex-brother-in-law. But he was kind of a jock. Mm-hmm. And um, my younger nephew was having trouble reading. So I started buying him comics mm. and I bought him the comics like uh, the, the original Teen Titan comic that was lifted off of um, the original Cartoon Network show, not Teen Titans Go, but the one from the early 2000s. Yeah, there's the, there's another, yeah. Yeah, when they were all kind of adolescents and everything. Yeah. A little more, a little more action rather than the humor of Teen Titans Go. Yeah. Um, and he really got into them. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my brother-in-law is like, uh, listen, um, I don't mean to be rude, but, uh, you know, they're kind of more jocks and, uh, you know, they're really into sports and I, I, you know, I hope you understand, dude. And I'm like, uh, dude, I don't know if you noticed, but the kid's reading him and you and your wife told me that he was having trouble reading. Mm-hmm. And now he's, now he's liking this kind of reading. Yes. 
took a half second and he said, he put out his hand. He goes, you are so right. I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's cool, man. I'm like, everybody's into their own thing. Yes. And in fact, I would get made fun of at Sporting News Radio, one of the other uh, radio jobs I had, because I would work from four to midnight and I would stop on New Comic Book Day at the store, mm-hmm. bring in my stack because my boss was a big comic book fan. But there were a couple of the other jocks like, oh, did you get your little comic books today? Oh, man. And I'm like, oh, are you wearing your little jersey to say, oh, I'm a big Boston Celtics fan. Aren't I cool? And they're like, well, you know, there's a, they're, you know, uh, and, they, and they were defending um, rotisserie uh, football. Well, you know, I can make money at that. I'm like, hey, whatever. I'm very comfortable with who I am. Yeah. I'm like, I hope you're comfortable with you or who you are. I go, but I don't really care what you think. Yeah. It's... I got news here. And again, another guy who's like, yeah, you're right. I was kind of being an asshole. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you were. You know, it's like, don't don't be a jerk, man. Yeah. Everybody likes what they like. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. And and if you don't like something that other people are like, who the hell cares? Yeah. So, yeah. And again, this was uh, 15 years ago. And as I said, quoting Rocky Balboa, nobody's laughing anymore at this stuff. Yes. This is the new pop culture. This yeah. is the new mythology and adventure fiction that everyone gravitates to yes. and is keeping the movie business alive. Mm-hmm. Because the last 16 months have shown you, even prior to that, though, the, the movies that people would go see in the theaters do not do the business they did when we were kids, mm-hmm. you and yeah. I were kids. Yeah. I mean, and two guns is a great example of that. That mm-hmm. also adapted from a comic book. Uh-huh. And that would have been a summertime movie hit in mm-hmm. the theaters. And it didn't find its audience until DVD and cable. Why? Because that's where people are watching movies these days. Yes. Bad news kids. Yeah. That's the reality. And I hope it changes and I hope it comes back to some degree. And I think there will always be mid-sized budget films and artsy films that will make it to theaters, mm-hmm. but uh, the convenience and frankly, the lack of manners in theaters, yeah. I think have uh, caused this uh, situation that COVID only exacerbated yeah. in terms of now they're begging you to come back to the theaters. Yeah. And we'll see. I haven't seen Black Widow yet. I'm still debating mm-hmm. if I'm going to spend 30 bucks and watch. I probably will. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to yeah. wait for some uh, paychecks to come in. But yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, why would I sit in the theater when I can watch it at my convenience? Yes. No, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or kind of like, because I know Black Widow, I think it's going to be released on Disney Plus in October, I think. Probably October, yeah. Yeah. You you, you just wait a couple more months, too. Sure. You know, I I I mean, I haven't, I mean, I'd like to, I would like to, and probably will, just because I'm so happy for Kelly Thompson is such a great new voice. Uh, I mean, it's been years, uh-huh. but relatively speaking, her success in comics, and she won the Eisner this year. I'm so happy for her. She's great. Uh-huh. And and truly, that's been another great thing of the last 10 years, is the proliferation of more women, more yes. people of color, yes. really making great books. Ron V is one of my favorite creators. Yes. Uh-huh. And I can honestly say, three years ago, I had no idea who Ron V was. Uh-huh. And he's amazing. Uh-huh. Ida Ayala is amazing. Mm-hmm. Teeny Howard is amazing. Mm-hmm. Kelly Thompson. So when the girls clubhouse only consisted of Kelly Sue and Gail Simone, yeah. it's a much bigger clubhouse now. Yes. And that's wonderful. That's yeah. just wonderful. Oh yeah. Um, for me, I, I'm going to say it because I, Oh God. Oh, Jean. Oh, I can't think of his name. Jean Lang. You and you and Lang. Oh yeah. Jean, you and Lang. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, when I heard that, 
you know, he was going to do um, Shang-Chi, the miniseries. You know, I was so excited. It's like, you know, and, and it's nothing against the other writers. Of course not. That wrote. No, because, you know, they had to, you know, it's, they, you know, part of it was they had to do, you know, they had to, you know, work for a living. They sure. did the best they could. But just to have Gene, just to write Shang-Chi, just to get his, you know, his perspective. Yeah, know. a real Chinese perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude. Absolutely. And um, damn, I, I never say his name right. Portsack, um Oh, Portsack, I, you're, you're for, the Good Asian yes. is his book. Yes. And he was and he was a Vertigo and DC editor. And now he, this is his first big debut. It's like, thank God. Yes, please. And and truly, I'll tell you, Jason, I am very and again, I say this sadly as a middle aged white guy. I'm the last person people want to hear from these days. But I'm, I'm really again, I consider myself very liberal and yeah. very inclusive and open to everybody doing great and doing great work. That said, I am a little angry at the stay in your lane campaign of, uh, I don't want straight people writing gay characters. I don't want white people writing black yes. characters mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's like, okay, I, again, I don't want to see anyone being kept from doing a job, but by the same token, don't tell creative people what they can and can't write because yes. Uh, they're they're subject to their own imagination just like anybody else yeah and just as happy as i am that brian hill has gotten the opportunities to write as much batman that he has mm-hmm. and his other white characters that he's written and he's kicking ass as one of the titans tv writers mm-hmm. um i like the fact that um uh brian azarello wrote a great luke cage miniseries back in the day oh. and that uh you know uh and and that bendis used Luke in uh, Avengers as effectively as he did. Yes. You yeah. know, and things like that. And it's like, I don't, I, you know, or creating Riri Williams, that matter. Yes. Ironheart. Yes. And it's like, don't give me stay in your own lane. Cause yeah. that's, that's a crock of shit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I mean, again, it's great. And Gene's a great example because as long, uh, while doing Shang-Chi, he's also spent years writing Superman and has yes. done a great job at that. Yeah. And, and also of course his own creator own stuff too, that mm-hmm. he's done. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's he and Tanahasi Coates are likely the two smartest guys mm-hmm. in recent memory. Who are like, uh, hey, I know I got this genius grant, or I know I'm an ex- a re- well-respected uh, Pulitzer-winning writer. Yeah, do you mind if I write comics? I uh, sit down. Yes, <laughs> sit down. Start writing. What are you waiting for? I'm so excited for Ho Chi Anderson's Luke Cage that's coming out in the fall, mm-hmm. and I've only become aware of Ho Chi in the last few months because of uh the company neotext that mm-hmm. uh does uh prose novellas mm-hmm. that are priced cheaper than comics and are great genre fiction stories um and i won't deny that they are an ip company mm-hmm. looking to exploit these things as tv and movies but the original source material is good and they're getting really good people to write it and Hochi's a perfect example of that mm-hmm. and um uh, I'm I'm going to touch base with him and arrange for a new word balloon uh, to talk about what he wants to do with Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, he's great. And he's a, you know, he's a guy, uh, Rodney Barnes. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. Rodney Barnes is so good. Mm-hmm. And also, unfortunately for him and me, it's like I mentioned, cause he went to Howard, one of the historic black colleges. Yes. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if you were ever a boxing fan. Oh, I'm a massive boxing fan. And uh, I knew Rock Newman, Riddick Bowe's manager. You know, he went to Howard. I'm like, that's kind of where I was going, man. Because I got to know Rock and Riddick. 
in the 90s when I was covering, but oh, no kidding. And I'm like, oh, Rodney, you don't know mm-hmm. what door you just opened. And now yeah. we're going to have to talk for another 20 minutes just yeah. about boxing. So I love Rodney. Rodney's amazing. And he is, he is such a, he's, he's been involved in TV and film mm-hmm. since the 90s. I mean, he was in the, he was involved with the Pelican Brief and Damon Wayans sitcom, My Wife and Kids, oh, yeah. Bernie Mac show. And he was a writer and a producer on all these things. And he is just starting to get his own uh, TV and movie productions going. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been making a series about the 1980s Lakers that's going to be an HBO miniseries. Oh, God. You know, so, yeah, I mean, he is so ready to explode. And it, I, I had never heard of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend uh, Chad, uh, who uh, worked with uh, me on those uh, mainframe Comic-Con online shows that we did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, hey, there's this guy who's got this like sh- book that is just selling through the roof at Image called Philadelphia. It's Vampires <laughs> in, in Philadelphia. And he goes, his name's Rodney Bartz. And he goes, you know, I really think you ought to interview him. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I did like my homework and I'm like, uh, you struck gold. This guy's a player. I'm mm-hmm. like, this guy, this guy. And, and I mean, he had done the Lando miniseries for Marvel okay. for Star yeah. Wars and stuff and a couple other books here and there. Um, he did a Nighthawk book uh, with the Squadron Supreme. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, he's he's great. He's he's great. And yeah, yeah I'm like, uh, or no, pardon me. I'm confusing him with uh, David Walker. David did oh, the okay. Night the night uh, Hawk uh, okay. miniseries. But uh, shame on me. David's amazing too, by the way. And I love talking. David's another like old school guy. He's like a, like close enough to our age uh-huh. where we'll talk about, you know, watching Kung Fu movies in the seventies and the Planet of the Apes movies and stuff. So no, I love David. David, I became friend, more friends with through Bendis. Uh-huh. So they co-teach a uh, comic book writing class. Uh-huh. But I mean, anyway, regardless, uh, it's a great time right now and everybody's at the table and are being heard yeah. by the same token. Don't, Please don't tell white people that they can't write gay characters, or straight white people, Just, yeah. that they can't write gay characters or people characters of color. I think that's a crock of shit, and mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to say that. No, no, yeah, yeah. Um, when you're talking about, I won um, the Black Label uh, comic, the limited series, um, the other, the other history of the DC universe. Yes. Um, oh, I can't think of the John writer. Ridley. John Ridley. I mean, because this. The, I love to talk the, to John. The third issue when he he wrote about katana i i found i i was you know it i didn't i'm gonna be honest i didn't care who wrote it it was great it pulled me in i identify with katana the other thing too is because um what john did was he you know meshed in um a little bit of um of um his you know of history too because i still remember unfortunately back in the the early 80s when um the automotive industry was, you know, clo- you know, was like literally closing down. I remember that very famous incident where um, some auto workers um, beat up this uh, Asian guy, you know, because they thought he was Japanese. And I remember it made news back in the eight. I remember that. Wow. But John brought that in, and I remember that. But the good thing about that, but like I said, what John's writing was, he blended that and also. Um, you know, a little bit of the reality, but also, also to the um, comics history too, as well, you know, how Katana felt being in the, in the outsider, Batman and the outsiders, you know, and I thought that was great. And like I said, again, you know, I didn't care who wrote it because it's an African male, um, African yeah. male writing 
a Japanese female character. Yeah. But it was so great. It pulled me in. Yeah. No, I agree with you, man. And I, I man, I love that, uh, the, the Black Lightning issue of that uh, history. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was amazing. And yeah, I mean, that's, again, we are getting, and then there's another incredibly gifted uh, creative that is like, uh, I like comics. Can I write some comics? And of course, he had his American Way mm-hmm. series years before uh, what he's currently doing with Batman and the uh, Secret History. And I'm looking forward to his Marvel work as well. Yeah. But no, and it's always interesting, not only from um, a different background standpoint in terms of color and creed and stuff like that, but also a guy like Tom Taylor being in Australia yes. and what he does. And then I always feel this way, and I generalize about uh, British colony writers who start writing American comics. Their point of view is so different than ours. And in yeah. fact, a guy that hates hated, I mean, I don't think he wrote that many, if any, uh, superhero comics, except for Judge Dredd, and that's Pat Mills. Mm-hmm. And I love talking to Pat because he just has such a different perspective on not only American comics, but the American comics business. But others like James Robinson mm-hmm. yes. and, um, you know, uh, uh, God, the guy, the co-creator of The Losers, um, oh. the writer, and I can't think of it, with Jock, um, mm-hmm. shame on me. So mm-hmm. good. Such a great British writer. Uh-huh. But all, all, all the Brits that I get to talk to, John McRae, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the wonderful draw, uh, art, drawer, drawer <laughs> artist and, <laughs> and, and storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's truly, and Mark Miller, of course, and Dave yeah. Gibbons. God, I mean, I pinch myself when it's like, Mark is a friend. Dave Gibbons, is, Dave Gibbons is a friend. And it's so great because Dave, and I know, I've seen him do it to other people as well, where it's like, okay, I know I'm Dave Gibbons. Relax. All right. We're friends. It's cool. And it's like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't say it that roughly, but essentially it's like, all right, cut this shit, quit worshiping me. And let's just talk like normal people. But it's like, yeah, but Dave, you got to understand, man, I was in college when Watchmen was coming out. And I mean, even my, my, my best friend and former roommate who was kind of tangentially into nerd stuff, but also he remembers Watchmen. And when I told him, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about doing a word balloon book eventually, Dave. And when I do, I really hope to keep our, our conversations in it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, John, whatever you need. And then just in that lovely Dave Gibbons way. Mm-hmm. And it was like two in the morning uh, Chicago time when I'm walking back from the bar at San Diego. And I had to call my buddy and it was like Friday. So I'm like, hey. And he goes, I was up. And I'm like, Dave Gibbons knows who I am. He, got, he even says my last name right. And he goes, I can remember watching. He goes, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> or when we first were watching the Justice League animated series in the early 2000s. <laughs> It's a Saturday night. We're watching it at his house. His wife walks in and goes, what are you watching? Yeah. He's like, okay, you don't understand. I know it's a cartoon, but the writing and the acting is so good. And my God, they really get these characters. I know even if you sat down with us for five minutes, you might be impressed. And she did. And she was. And she's like, oh, no, actually, this is pretty cool. So I always tell uh, Susan that story. Uh, My buddy who's Wonder Woman, Susan Eisenberg. But also it's funny at Terrificon got to spend more time with Maria Canales Barrera, Hawk Girl, mm-hmm. and George Newber and Superman. And I told them that story too. And it's like, no, you don't understand. I'm like, you know, and I and they've heard it a million times. Mm-hmm. But again, that's how good the the content is now. And thankfully there's an adult audience that grew up on this stuff like we did, like you and mm-hmm. I did, but also the kids love it too. And it's a great way for them to bond with their kids. Stargirl, I'm so glad the second the second season is up and running. Last year, during the summer of COVID, we're all sad as hell 
mm-hmm. and Stargirl could not have been uh, a better, more positive, I think, show to drop. Mm-hmm. And all of us are like, oh, thank God it's good. And my kids like it too. And we could both watch it on these different levels. It's so good. So that was terrific to see. Yeah. You know, but I, I just think that, because I'm going to say, I haven't seen Stargirl yet. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's just trying to find time. You know, I mean, yeah, like, there's a million things to watch. Believe me. Yeah. You know, but, you know, but I think, but, but I think for me, I think you hit a very good point is that I, now I don't have kids, but, but I just only can imagine the last 10, 20 years, I don't know if there are any shows that parents could watch with their kids, you know, you know, instead of going, okay, we got to watch iCarly, but oh God, all the Disney stuff. Yeah, yeah you know, but now they can, they can watch it go, Hey, I remember reading, or I remember hearing something yes. that, you know, that's the adult. And it's also great for the kids too. Did you your, know? did your parents read comics? Um, I'm going to say my parents were, yes, I'm going to say, but let me start off. My parents were divorced, but yes, okay. um, my, my dad read some comics, but my mom was more of the reader and she read comics. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. great. My mom was the original reader. She passed away when I was five and that, that sucked. But listen, it's, I mean, I'm okay. It was, it was, I mean, believe me, I would have preferred the alternative because she's an incredible woman as I learned about her and stuff. And such a Laura Petrie. I mean, such a woman of the early 60s, mm-hmm. down to the Capri pants, mm-hmm. listening to Bossa Nova jazz, mm-hmm. and really was like, he's going to read, yes. and he's going to read early. And they, they really started me reading at like three, where I was reading the, the comic strips and stuff. And, uh, and it was great uh, mentioning uh, that parents and, and their kids could share an experience. We were on vacation. This is after my mother had passed away. And my father had remarried at this point, mm-hmm. but we were in uh, the Wisconsin Dells, big, big oh. tourist area of Wisconsin. And we were at some store and there was a gift shop and they had comics and they had one of the giant treasury edition issues of Shazam, the Captain Marvel book. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, a white co- and it was the white covered treasury edition. And my dad's like, Oh, Captain Marvel. You want that? He goes, you know, I, uh, I used to read that when I was a kid. And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> so, so it was great. And I know, and forgive me, Jason, cause I know we're deviating from your question list. No, no, no. But, um, but, um, you, I know in the, in the questions you were asking, you acknowledged my first comic was Superman. What was it? 283 or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris Delbart, the Wolf of Wall Street. It was Superman's new secret identity. I know. I love his name. Chris Delbart, the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Great cover. Great. He flies in. And you see him transitioning into Chris rather than Clark. And he had brown hair and he had a mustache. He had glasses on. It was hilarious. When Bendis uh-huh. wrote um, that Superman and Lois were yes. going undercover and Superman could kink his hair and make <laughs> it look like a fro. I'm like, dude, it should have been Chris Delbert. He goes, where were you three months ago when I was writing this thing? He goes, because he called him Chaz or whatever the hell he called him and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you blew it. It should have been Chris Delbert, man. So uh, anyway, um, Mentioning the Shazam Treasury Size Edition, yeah. uh, at that Alpine Pharmacy, that's where I would buy my first comics. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my introduction to the Marvel Universe. I mean, I had seen the Marvel superhero cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were I, on in syndication yeah. when I was a little kid. Yeah, and the Spider-Man cartoons. So I was aware of some characters. I had no idea who the Avengers were, mm-hmm. and it was the Avengers Treasury Edition that uh, reprinted <clears throat> the marriage of. Uh, the Wasp and the Yellow Jacket, mm-hmm. 
and uh, also the first Vision stories were in there. Uh, to the point where when I saw Black Panther, mm-hmm. I'm like, is that Batman? Kind of looks mm-hmm. like Batman. Yeah. But he but he looks like he's black under the mask and he doesn't have a cape and that's a different costume. So then I read the book and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that and also uh the Fantastic Four, um, again I remembered the cartoon, the old sixties cartoon. Yeah. But uh the Galactus story was collected in that Treasury edition. That blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, I uh that's that was my introduction to Marvel. So I was a DC kid first, more than a Marvel kid. Mm-hmm. But um, really, obviously, grew to uh, you know appreciate the Marvel books. But I do have to say, at the end of the day, I am I do lean more towards DC than I do Marvel. Mm-hmm. And there are certain books that are massive sellers. Yes, that I could care less about just because I don't care about the characters. Yeah. And the greatest example of that is the X Men. And mm-hmm. I appreciate the X Men for what they are. Yes. and and everything they've done, and and the movies have been great, and mm-hmm. the television shows have been great, mm-hmm. even Mutant X. Back in the nineties, oh my but, god! Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we because Fiona was it the actress Fiona Hughes who played yes. Emma Frost? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I mean, we mentioned some of the schlocky, some of the schlocky seventies movies. I mean, going into the nineties, that Nick Fury movie that Fox made, yes, with um, that was fun. It was fun. David, Hassel, David Hasselhoff and Lisa Arena Arena as uh, as uh, the Contessa. Oh, that's Valentina. I have to say, so, yeah, man. No, it was come on, fun. The only thing I'm gonna say the, the 1978 Doctor Strange movie, the only thing I remembered from that movie was the late great Jessica Walters because I was like, wow, she's hot, and that's all. As a oh, movie, yeah, that's all I remember. no, you're right. <laughs> Archer's mom, absolutely, and of course, yeah. the rest of the development. Yeah. But no, good, you know, dude, I've uh, being the Star Trek fan that I am. Yes. Uh, Shatner, two years before Star Trek, made this one season lawyer show called For the People. Oh, no. And Jessica Walters, and this is like 64 or maybe 65. Okay. And uh, Jessica Walters played his wife. And if you thought 70s Jessica Walters was hot, check out 1960s Jessica Walters. She was lovely. She's beautiful. She really, just like Diana Rigg in The Avengers, it's like, Mm-hmm. Who is that beautiful woman? And yes. thank God she's making this cool stuff. But yeah, yeah I mean, play Misty for me, of course, her movie with uh, Clint yes. Eastwood from the early seventies. No, just she was amazing. She was a great, great actress who could do anything. She really could do any any genre, yes. uh, comedy, horror, uh, you know, heavy drama. Amazing, and what a final act of her life to have the success she did with Arrested Development and yes. pretty cool. Pretty yes, cool. yeah. Um, you touched up on Star Trek. How big of a Star Trek fan are you? <laughs> I want I love Star Trek. I'm, I'm, I'm as you are. I, I'm of that uh, when it when it went into syndication in the early seventies. I have very early memories mm-hmm. of 1969 when my mother was still alive mm-hmm. and my father and Star Trek being on television. I don't know if they were watching it, but the TV was on, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing it in 1969 because i was really excited mm-hmm. when our local affiliate uh started running star trek reruns mm-hmm. in the early 70s yes uh so i go back to that generation of i would say starting in the 70s mm-hmm. i love star trek i star trek seemed legitimately possible to me being a kid that grew up during the apollo program back to astronauts and it was like okay this is supposed to be 400 years or 300 years in the future, we could be going to other planets by then. 
mm-hmm. and you know, and there could be bigger spaceships with giant crews rather than three people in a capsule. Yeah. So this is possible. Mm-hmm. So I kind of bought it mm-hmm. as a kid, yeah. and then appreciated as I got older for Roddenberry's ideals during the midst of. I mean, you. I, I honestly, I'm glad I had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on my show to compare the civil strife of the 1960s and 70s to what we're going through today. I, I, I do believe that it was still worse in the 60s, but not by much. Uh, sadly, our current culture is trying very hard to compete with the level of hatred and abuse that people suffered. And here was Gene Roddenberry in the midst of that saying, uh, we'll get, we're going to get past this. We're all going to be working together. And to have the balls, not only to have Asians and people and, and, and women of color on his bridge, yes. but also a Russian, a Soviet yeah. back then mm-hmm. at the height of the Cold War. And it's like, no, sorry, Earth's going to get their shit together. Mm-hmm. We're going to be a better society and everyone's going to be involved. And, and if I may, and you've given me the invitation to talk about Star Trek for a moment, that is my frustration with new Star Trek. Mm-hmm. How dare they mm-hmm. destroy what Gene Roddenberry set up? And, I'll, and I can even appreciate the argument of, well, you know, Gene didn't believe in conflict and that none of the – in fact, he didn't want – or I should say, because he had died by the time Deep Space Nine was created, but Majel uh, Roddenberry, um, Waxana Troy from Next Generation and Nurse Chapel from the original series – she was on record saying, you know, Gene wouldn't like Deep Space Nine because there's too much conflict on it, and especially mm-hmm. between the people from Earth. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I understand that argument, but uh, most of the conflict was coming from the other alien races. And much like Serling with the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. Roddenberry and, and the writers were able to disguise current issues yes. in allegory with alien races and talk about today's problems. And shame on you, new Star Trek, for going, well, that's not realistic. And it's like, no, it's, it never was meant to be really realistic. Yeah. It's an ambition for the future. Mm-hmm. But it is in the DNA of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And how dare you? Now I sound like Pat Cooper, the old uh, comedian. How dare you? But it's true. How dare you ruin mm-hmm. the coda of Star Trek that always made it Star Trek, even mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and and come up with this bullshit mm-hmm. of – all of a sudden the Federation is xenophobic mm-hmm. or even worse now in the last season of discovery mm-hmm. that earth is so xenophobic. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Who, you don't even know Star Trek. I have heard stories about the top executives that are in charge of the showrunners of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. One guy who we all know just got a five-year extension. Yeah. And I heard a specific story about him, Alex Kurtzman. Mm-hmm. I don't mind naming him because unfortunately, if you look at his track record, he's done a lot of nerd stuff that has failed. Mm. He did the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Oh. He did the Tom Cruise mummy movie. Oh, this yeah. guy fails mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. He had one hit that was a reboot and that's Hawaii Five O on CBS. Mm-hmm. And that's why CBS is in love with him and letting him do whatever the hell he wants, mm-hmm. including what he's doing with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But I heard a, a horror story about him that I won't go into detail because it's not my story to tell where it is painfully obvious this guy knows dick about Star Trek. I have no idea how much or how little he's watched of Star Trek, but he pitched an idea about new Trek that should be used. And the people he was pitching it to, uh, that was done every week on one of the Star Trek spinoff shows Mm -hmm. of the 90s. 
And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. And it's like, yeah, of course you didn't, because you don't really give a shit about yeah. this thing that you're in charge of. So it is really upsetting to me, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, again, I still go into every week of new, new Trek on, well, maybe I'll like this episode better. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, because they do have people involved that do know Star Trek. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Lower Decks, I mean, they just had their first episode as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was disappointed in this, the opening of the second season. Mm-hmm. And and again, and even Mike McMahon, I believe in the case of Mike McMahon, mm-hmm. and he's a definite hardcore Star Trek fan, I have a feeling he's being noted to death by, if not Kurtzman, mm-hmm. others upstairs mm-hmm. saying, ah, that's a little, I know we said it's an adult cartoon, but that's a little harsh. Can you tone it down? And what we get toned down, I believe, are second and third rewrite ideas rather than original ideas Mm -hmm. and it's just it's not fun it's not funny enough it's not clever enough Mm -hmm. and star trek was always a leader in terms of doing things in science fiction we never saw before and now it's a follower and we're getting watered down blade runner and battlestar galactica Mm -hmm. and that in a lot of the live action shows Mm -hmm. i am holding out hope for strange new worlds me too but again, it's still these idiots on top. Mm-hmm. And my fear is also their agenda is, and their political woke agenda. And I, and I feel like an asshole saying that because I support 90% of what people who identify that as we want more of this, yeah. I am with you 90% of the time. There yeah. is that 10% of the time where it's more important to have the woke agenda in front of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's where you fail. Mm-hmm. because you still have to entertain me with a good story. Yes. And I have to say that when it comes to new Star Trek, I've yet to be entertained. I, I liked the 2009 JJ yeah. Abrams mm-hmm. movie. Yes. That's the last piece of new Star Trek that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, because going back, like you said, the original Star Trek series, it was, it was um, a meta, like you said, the science a metaphor. The metaphor. Yeah. Because a very good example was a private little war. It was right because nobody knew it was about the Vietnam War at that Absolutely. time. Absolutely, you're right, and you know, let, or even the obvious of let let that be your last battlefield yes. with Frank Gorshin and the other actor, and they were half black and half white. Yeah, but they're on opposite sides yes. of, of their face. Don't you see the difference? Yeah, and it's like no, we really don't. Or God, even that wonderful, um, I can't remember the name, Omega Glory, the one where uh, they're on the planet and they create Kalis and Abraham Lincoln. Oh no, um. Oh shoot! Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, Savage Curtain? No, no, not Savage Curtain. With Yarnak, the rock monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh God. Oh, well, anyway, God. but you know, uh, Lincoln is—I won't say the word—but Lincoln was on the bridge and says, "Oh, what a charming!" And he doesn't say the N word, but it, it's a derivative yes. of Negro. Yeah. And I, I guess it's okay to say the word Negress. I mean, again, I, I mean, and and and, and every, you know. And he and whatever, and again, it's a, a manifestation of Lincoln. But he's like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And Michelle Nichols does that beautiful speech of, no, sir, we're above, we're above words. That's, yeah. that's not a bad word. It's yes. a, you know, we're we're not offended by words. We're, we've mm-hmm. we've evolved. Yeah. And it's like, what a wonderful message. Mm-hmm. And now instead, you get the bullshit that you get on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I don't. Or even God, they have uh, their non-binary uh, character. Yes. Uh, the trill, mm-hmm. and uh, she she's like, I, I prefer to be called they. Mm-hmm. And they really have to hold this pregnant pause moment of, wow, look at what we're doing. And it's like, because like, you know, uh, Stamets, Anthony Rapp is like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I'll call you they, I'm sorry. And yeah. it's like, 
yeah, it should have just been a, oh, sure, of course, no problem. Yeah, that, yeah. That's all it should have been. Yes. And I think it would have had the same emotional impact. But the producers really wanted to let you know, hey, non-binary, we're giving you a big moment here. And it's like, relax. Yeah. I, I get it. Because it's like, I don't know how to break it to you, but Star Trek has been woke from day one. Yes. It's, yeah. it's that simple. It's yeah. that simple. Yes. And I hate going to StarTrek.com because it is a it has become a a woke um idea of a website more so than just hey there's a new star trek book let's check it out or hey let's do this and it's it's more it's again it's this friendship is magic mm-hmm. that is fine and god bless you i love all that yes. but you don't have to be so obvious it's like yeah. we get it we're cool yeah. and again i'm saying this as again last person that you want to hear from middle aged white guy so I'm curious. Um, <coughs> I have friends that went to the Vegas convention this weekend. Yes, mm-hmm. and I haven't heard back yet, but I'm really looking forward to. In fact, on our uh, we, we're back doing our oh yeah Trek watch mm-hmm. with Franco yes. and my buddy Mitch uh, because there's new Star Trek every mm-hmm. week, so that's when we do it. And our buddy Wayne uh, from Canada went down to Vegas oh. and he went to the convention, so he's going to be on yeah. to tell us you know what he, his thoughts and everything. So that'll be fun. The other thing I'm going to say is because I know in one of your guys' review episodes, I think it was like you, in one of your Star Trek Discovery review, you know, um, podcast review. I remember because, you know, I'm going to say because I watched Star Trek Discovery. um, I, yeah, it's not, I don't know, for me, it's not Star Trek, but my wife loves it. Cool. And she also likes The Next Generation, but I'm not. I love The Next Generation. Yeah, but I'm not going to keep telling her, oh, this is wrong. I'm not going to – it's just I'm letting her enjoy it because this sure. is – you know. But the other No, thing, and it's good to have a, a nerd show that your wife is into, so that's cool. Yeah, it is. And But the thing I love what you said in that one um, review episode was it would have been better if this was a just a different sci- – if it was just a regular science fiction show. Yes, like if, I, I accept it more. Work. I would accept it more as its own yeah. thing rather than Star Trek, because yeah. it's, it doesn't look like Star Trek to me. Yeah. And then I think the other thing too, is that, or, and, but for me, I, because I kept, and I know I've told my wife a couple of times is I wish instead of putting in the original series universe, I wish they would have put it in the Kelvin universe. Yes. Like, I agree with that I too. Then I can see, okay, I can. Yeah. I, there could be subtle differences. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I, Hey man. And forgive me for interrupting, but yeah, I mean, Making Michael Burnham Spock's sister is an, not only an insult to Spock, but I think, frankly, uh, lessens Michael Burnham as a character in her own right. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard did not need to be the grandson of James Kerr yes. to be interesting. None of the Next Generation characters had to be descendants or related to the original series. In fact, they did their damnedest to stay away from it until that episode where Sarek shows up. Yes. And, and it's great. And I love that episode. And that was another thing in terms of new Trek. And I've said this before many times on my show, compare Mark Lennard's very subtle, very Vulcan performance of Sarek to James. I can't remember his name, new Star Trek. uh, The guy that's been on discovery as Michael Burnham's uh, stepfather. And he seems delighted by humans mm-hmm. in a way that Sarek never was in the series or in the movies or mm-hmm. in next generation. And I love, I always point to it, that amazing last scene in, or one of the last scenes in Star Trek four where Spock and Sarek are talking and Sarek allows himself 
to comp and say, you know, maybe I was wrong. These people that you associate with, they're of good character. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was wrong about you joining Star Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And and Spock just looks at him and almost shrugs and goes, "They're my friends." Mm-hmm. And it's great because Sarek pulls back and becomes the Vulcan that he is, and he's like, "Yes, yes, of course," and kind of dismissive of. Oh yeah, it's that human shit again. All right, you know I understand. This is my son. I'll I, I tolerate it. Mm-hmm. That is Sarek. Yes. The other guy that showed up in Discovery was just too bemused mm-hmm. by the various human frailties and choices mm-hmm. that emotional people make. And I'm like, and this is supposed to be ten years before Journey to Babel when we first see Sarek. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, sorry, I'm not buying it. Yeah. This isn't Sarek. This is a. And again, like you said. I could see a Kelvin Sarek being possibly being different. And yeah. also, and something else I've said a million times, uh, a real missed opportunity. I'm okay with Michael Burnham being raised by Vulcans. Yes. It would have been more interesting to be raised by different Vulcans and yeah. have the opportunity to have Sarek on a show and have a different Burnham father who's a Vulcan have a conversation about humans with mm-hmm. Sarek. Yes. And, and it, because it almost makes it seem like uh, uh, Martin Luther King was the only civil rights leader mm-hmm. where it's like Sarek seems to be the only guy that understood of humans. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just, it's those kind of choices that I think new Trek makes his fan service uh, that unfortunately I think blows up in their face for us old timers. We're like, all you're showing is you have no original ideas and you don't understand to yeah. Paul and Tuvok uh, were great Vulcan characters yes. that came from the subsequent shows. Mm-hmm. And same with uh, Dr. Sailor on Next Generation, or right. other times they would show other Vulcans. And they didn't need to be another half-brother or half-sister to Spock. Yeah. And I say that with great respect to Lawrence Luckenbill, who I had the opportunity to speak with this year. And I gave him his due. And like, listen, you get a lot of shit. Yeah. He did a great job in that movie, and he did do a great job. No. It's not a great movie, but Cybok is a great character. No, but it he was he was great as Cybok. Yes, yeah. I'm going to say yes. You're right. Star Trek Five was not the great movie, no. <laughs> but I have. But there are there are key moments like, and I'm not talking the key moments. I'm not talking about is what does God need with a starship? Not that yeah, part. Yeah. The, like <laughs> the, the 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 nice campfire scene in the beginning. Yeah, the family stuff. Yeah. Oh, God. That yeah. Was- or oh that or or when scotty breaks them out of the jail <laughs> you don't know a jailbreak when you see one you know just just like because that's the thing they're also and then he did bled into star trek six and four as well where it's like no these guys know each other like they've been serving together for decades and we bought it because we've been on the journey with them that yes. long that's why star trek into darkness sucks so bad yes. when they tried to recapture that con moment oh. of Oh my God, you're my best friend. No, you're not. Yeah. You just met six months ago. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. You haven't earned, you didn't earn the death scene yes. the way that Shatner and Nimoy earned yes. that death. Oh my God, uh, Wayne, our Canadian buddy who was at the convention, uh-huh. uh, took a picture of the plexiglass when they do autograph pictures that the star uh-huh. and the uh, person have to be between now. Yeah. And I immediately sent back, that sad shot of Spock dead and Kirk behind the glass and everything. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like that, man. Smile. <laughs> you know, <it's... laughs> but no, but that's I'm... how they should do it. They should have either the celebrity or the fan be Spock and, and the celebrity should be Kirk or Spock or whatever. That'd be, a, that's a picture. I'm going to say, uh, so star, I'm going to say Star Trek into darkness. It, it had some, I'm going to say it had some moments 
Oh, I I'm gonna to... make. I'd almost make you checklist me the moments, but go on. No, no. I didn't I, mind no. the. I didn't mind the pre the pre title sequence yeah, when they're yeah. on the planet and they're running like hell and the yeah. natives are running after him. I thought that was cute. But I have to tell you the funny story. When me and my wife saw it in theaters, okay, and you know, you in the scene where it's you know, um, Chris Pine's Kirk is behind the plexiglass and you see Spock and you know the needs of the many and blah blah blah. And when Kirk dies, you know, um. Um, Zach Quitona says, Spock goes, and I squeeze my wife's hand, going, oh my God, I can't believe it. I was just like, oh, that was such a cringeworthy moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. But I have to tell you, Star Trek Into Darkness, for me, that fight scene in the end with um, Khan and Spock just yeah. having that animal rage fight, I'm going to say it kind of, to me, it retconned it retconned something in the original series because Sarah, I can't believe we're really going, but anyway. I love this, go on. Yeah, so, because I remember in um, Journey to Babel, Sarah told um, Kirk that, you know, Vulcans have the strength of 10 men. In Space Seed, Khan tells Kirk, I have the strength of five men. So it's like, in the Space Seed, it should have been Spock and Khan. But in Star Trek Into Darkness, it was Spock and Khan. I was like, oh, this is great. And just I respect that. Spock is just letting loose. And I and I think they to me they missed that because in the beginning the Spock talks about how he how he lost his mom, how he lost Falcon. Sure. And if they had run that story and all that grief, all that anger of loss, you know, just explodes right there. I respect that, man, Jason, because honestly, I, I mean, I still hold my own opinion yeah. that Quinto's, their choices, while they justify them by the movie's uh, plot yes. on why this is a more emotional Spock, when you give us a more emotional Spock, that means McCoy wins. And frankly, I think that's, that's what disappears. And as much as I sort of, I, I initially, I liked in 2009, Quinto's performance as Spock, in the subsequent movies, he was always too emotional. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's one of my problems with new Star Trek, uh, where the cage was not a blueprint of this is where Spock was at that moment. It's mm-hmm. like, no, this is where the story was at that moment. And they hadn't figured out every character yet. Yeah, yes. And, and, and midway through the first season, because there are episodes of Spock smiling in the first season yeah. of the original series. But he, when they finally settled down, it's like, no, he he has emotions, no question. God, there's that great uh, this side of paradise where uh, with uh, Jill Ireland, and yeah. just that fact that you know she's in love with him, and the yeah. spores let him be emotional, and he, he's hurt that he can't be what he wants to be, or Journey to Babel yeah. when he can't be there emotionally for his father, mm-hmm. and Jane Wyman is Amanda is yelling at him, and like that's your father, get your ass in there, and he's like I can't, yeah. and it's like. Wow, just the, I mean, that Spock, man, is that internal struggle. And when the safety is off, then the character disappears from me. And and at the end of the day, I'm not a big fan of Quinto's uh, performances, Spock. I am rooting for Ethan Peck. I hope that he won't be laughing and smiling, but I have a bad feeling that we're kind of stuck with this because they are convinced, well, that's fine. He learned to be more poker-faced. And it's like, yeah, he learned that a lot earlier. And that's why I love in the anime, the original animated series, Yesteryear. Oh, Yesteryear yeah. is such a great episode. Mm-hmm. And, and especially being a 23-minute cartoon. Mm-hmm. 
and and so great and it should be canon and we all of us fans are like yeah sorry gene but fuck you it's canon yeah and we love this story because it's it's really an early spock and more so than what we got in 2009 Mm -hmm. um i agree with you in the 2009 movie i do love when old spock tells chris pine Jim, I just lost my mother and my planet. Believe me, I'm compromised. Yes. And I loved moments like that. Yeah. And I loved that old Spock was talking to Pine like it was his friend that he's known forever. Yes. Even though Pine didn't know who the hell he was. Yeah. And it was great. And that was really terrific to see. And I like how the trajectory of Spock allowed him to mellow mm-hmm. by the time of unification and next generation. Yes. And that great conversation he has with Data about you know how do you perceive humans how do you perceive humans yes and do you regret not embracing your uh or do you know whatever data yeah. said and he said i have no regrets and he says regrets that's a human emotion and he says yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you're right and i and i am and you know and that's that's great and it's a shame in my own fanfic in my mind i would love to see scenes leading up to sarek's death mm-hmm. where they might have argued about the cardassian war and whether they should intervene or not, or even Spock's attempts to unify with the Romulans. Mm-hmm. And I would see Sarek as being against it. Yes. And Spock going, Father, you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the compassion to ch- or the ability to change. You know, I, I believe in this or whatever. And just like you hear from Sarek's second wife, Perry, Perry, yes. you know, just like, you know, it, you know, it used to upset me. And I knew it upset Sarek when they would have these arguments and stuff. And it's like, it's a shame we didn't get those. And I would love to see more novel fiction or whatever leaning into that era. And then, and, and again, seeing, seeing the differences of the two men, because I, I think there's some missed opportunities of conversation that I'd love to hear. When you talk about the um, <laughs> 2009 star, I have to throw out this last. I, By all means, I know, I'm I so going, sorry for the, the multi-minute tangent on this, but I love Star Trek. You asked. I'm sorry. I know we're going, you don't have another interview. Huh? I just want to make sure you don't have anything planned after this. Well, I do tonight. Uh, if you, if you don't mind, I would like to finish probably by the bottom of the hour, but Jason, I'd be happy to do another part if you want to arrange for another part. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I, I know we didn't get to a lot of what's in your outline. Don't worry about that. So, um, okay. Um, one last thing. Tell me about 09. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, <laughs> real quickly, Red and Circus. That, yes. That one, that one, I don't know if it was like a 30 second scene that they, it's always cut on syndication where they're, where McCoy and Spock are in jail on the prison. And then Spock, will, you know, they're arguing like, you know, thank you, you know, thank you, Spock. And he's like, human emotions, I'll never understand that. And he goes, you know, I'm just trying to say thank you, you know. And he's like, you're more afraid of living than dying. Yep. You don't know what it would be like to really feel, you know, like how to experience a, a real human emotion. Yes. yes. You see Leonard Nimoy kind of like, he grabs the bars and he's looking down like, oh my God, McCoy knows, he knows. He yep. knows my deepest, darkest secret. Yeah, but that's so classic. No, and then he straightens up and he's a Vulcan again. He's like, really, doctor? You don't yeah. Think I know? And it's, and there was a great uh, short story uh, in one of the uh, early collections of of, of uh, fan produced uh, short, not not in the Strange New World books, okay. Before that, and um, there it's McCoy and Kirk and it, or McCoy and uh, Spock, and it's just dialogue between them the way it was written. So it's a quote of Spock's and then a quote of McCoy's back and forth, and they're in some sort of jail that the temperature is ridiculously hot, uh-huh. and it's like boy, it's hot. You know, McCoy's like man, it's really hot in here, 
And uh, Spock's like, hotter than you can imagine. And he's like, really, does it feel like Vulcan? He goes, it's even worse. And they go back and forth. And then they get into this intellectual argument of Spock's humanity. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and it, you know, and it, it kind of turns around to the point where even McCoy apologizes. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry. Sometimes I don't give you enough credit mm-hmm. for the emotions you do have or whatever. And it's, it's a great exchange. And also Tholi and Webb. Yes. When they think Kirk is dead. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the best McCoy and then Spock moments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, it's, you know, that this, this bond they have because of, of Jim Kirk mm-hmm. that keeps them friends yes. that they're friends too. And I love that too, about the movies mm-hmm. that uh, like, like in three, yes. When they rescue Spock's body and before Spock's Katra can be put back in him mm-hmm. and McCoy's like, I want to tell you, I've really missed you. And I didn't realize how much I care about you. Mm -hmm. And it's just like stuff like that. No, it's, those are, those are beautiful. (laughs) Those are, and of of course them camping in five is just, I mean, that's right. It's like, no man, these, these are like two cousins that have never gotten along, but deep down they love each other. I mean, and that's, that's the, that is the strength of Star Trek. Yes. Uh, I'm just not feeling it from New Trek. I don't see those connections. We got it in Next Generation. We got it in Deep Space Nine yes. and Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 connections they're trying. Like I, I believe Tilly and Burnham's relationship is real. Mm-hmm. I don't believe Tilly's career trajectory is very real. But whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, Captain Tilly, for Christ's sake, yes. First Officer Tilly. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. I guess if you want it that way. Um. Whatever. Slowly wrap anyway. things up because I know we're going to... Sure, buddy. Okay. But I want to ask you these two last Star Trek questions. Sure. <laughs> You're meeting with Leonard Nimoy. I remember... Very brief, but memorable. Go on. Please. No, please. Oh, sure. It was the year that... It was 2009. It was the year that the J.J. movie came out. And um, there used to be this great Orlando uh, comics and nerd show that they don't do anymore. Uh-huh. Um but I was invited a couple years in a row and it was really great. Cause I did get to meet a lot of really terrific celebrities. I had to meet Peter Graves, Mr. Phelps from Mission oh Impossible. God. And it was so great because we were all in the same hotel yes. and in the same floors. Uh-huh. So not only would we see each other at the conventions, we'd run into each other going back to our rooms or going in the morning or whatever. And I had seen Mr. Graves a couple times in a row and introduced myself that by Sunday, I'm like, oh, Mr. Graves, good to see you again. Hi, John, how are you? And I'm like, that's awesome. Peter Graves knows me by name. This is so fit. I'm sure I'll forget, but I don't care. This is great. So uh, Nimoy was going to do a panel. And Nimoy's been doing, had been doing panels literally since the original series. And he probably tapered off in the 2000s and didn't do as many. But, um, you know, he, he knew how to run. Like, he didn't need me to, like, moderate a panel they're like we just need someone to introduce mr nimoy Mm -hmm. so i'm like it would be my honor to introduce mr nimoy so i wanted to give him his due yes for everything that he did in his career and so i'm like ladies and gentlemen you all know him and we love him but not only as a fine actor but a fine author a fine painter Mm -hmm. and a fine uh was my my and a fine movie director as well yes i go but of course he'll always be mr spock to us ladies and gentlemen leonard nimoy massive of course nothing to do with me massive applause Nimoy comes out. Nimoy towers. I'm, I'm five foot eight. Nimoy towers over me. He's in this great all white. Uh, I have a clip of, of his panel on my YouTube channel. Okay. And, uh, and also he was doing fringe for JJ and that's how JJ got him for 
Star Trek because he was playing that character, William Bell, mm-hmm. on the Fringe TV show. But he shakes my hand and he says, nicely done, son. And I said, okay, thank you. And I kept my, I held my shit together. Yes. But I'm like, that's great, man. Because again, I was lucky, Jason. I mean, like I said, I spent 10 years at the local sports station yeah. and got to meet and talk to Michael Jordan on many occasions and all the Bulls yes. and all the Cubs and all the White Sox and all the Chicago Bears. Uh, I mean, everybody. Yeah. So I was, I could steal myself enough so I couldn't be like, my God, I'm talking to Michael Jordan in my yeah. brain, but I could compartmentalize that and keep a calm demeanor. Yes. But it was really hard with William, with, with Leonard Nimoy. I never, I, I, I've seen Shatner. Mm-hmm. I got to go in a very exclusive press conference when there were only 50 of us in the room mm-hmm. watching um, the uh, introduction of Star Trek Discovery when Brian Fuller was still there. And they had uh, Jerry Ryan and Michael Dorn and Brent Spiner and Shatner mm-hmm. and Scott Bakula uh, am I leaving anybody? And Michael Dorn, if I didn't already mention him, but they were all up there with Brian Fuller and they were all talking about Star Trek in general. So I saw Shatner, but at this show, yeah, it was, that was my chance to meet Nimoy at that same show. Uh, George Takei was there. Uh-huh. And this is when heroes was on, or it might've been the year before, okay. but heroes was on mm-hmm. and he played heroes father, the character hero. And we're all like, George, nice going, man. This is a great role. And he's like, yes, I know. And he was very, very proud, but he was incredibly cool too. And then also uh, at those shows, uh, we got to slam back uh, drinks with Jonathan Frakes. Oh my God. And, uh, and he was great because not only did he tell us Star Trek stories, but he, when he was a young actor in mm-hmm. New York, uh, Marvel would have promotional things where they would have people in costume and he dressed as Captain America. And there was a blood, sweat, and tears uh, concert in the mid seventies, uh-huh. and it was balls hot. It was at um, I think at Shea or one of the stadiums, maybe Yankee Stadium. And backstage at the green room, the right, you know, the the writers, the the contracts mm-hmm. that bands make. Sometimes they put ridiculous stuff in there, like no brown M and M's for Van Halen, to make sure. <laughs> that the people that are hosting the concert are really reading the whole thing mm-hmm. and give them everything they want. Cause that's what it's. And so they're almost there as tricks. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if this was tricks or whatever, but they wanted Marvel superheroes to be in the green room to entertain them while they were there. And so Jonathan was captain America. Yes. Uh-huh. And then this other guy was Spider-Man mm-hmm. and be, and it was really, really hot. Uh-huh. So the band's like, Hey, you know, you don't have to wear the masks. Yeah. You know, like be comfortable back here, guys. So Jonathan took his cowl off. Yeah. And was drinking beers with the guys. Spider-Man would not break character, did not take his mask off, and would suck beer through the oh. mouthless mask oh. to drink the beer and stuff that they were having. And he said they were like guzzling beer bottles. And Spider-Man looked like a baby with like a pacifier bottle <laughs> kind of sucking on his bottle. And stuff. It was hilarious. So, yeah, like – this is like midnight and one in the morning and Jonathan Frank's telling us these stories. And we're like, this is fantastic. I can't believe my life. I can't believe how lucky I am. I so. have, but shaking hands with Leonard Nimoy, with the, it's not, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, I mean, this is, I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, take a photo op or something. No, it's, right. oh my God. Yeah, and, he, and he was very sweet to like, be like, hey, thank you for the nice introduction. It's, yeah, and he was genuine. And I'm like, wow. You know, again, I'm like, did not. He's like, nicely done, son. Thank you very much for the introduction. I'm like, okay. And I bet the other one you wanted me to talk about is Avery Brooks. I'm assuming. Yes, that was incredible. Avery Brooks, I believe, 
wants to be as enigmatic as you see him when he is being interviewed as Avery Brooks. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with that. I love Ben Sisko. I unabashedly say that Ben Sisko is as much as I adore Patrick Stewart and, Mm -hmm. and of course, William Shatner. And of course, even Kate Mulgrew and even Scott Bakula, Mm -hmm. who I think had a really thankless job of doing what he did on enterprise, but I think it was a very, all the captains are great in my book, Mm -hmm. but Avery Brooks was so great. And the fact that Ira Bear, the showrunner eventually allowed Avery to be much more visceral and a warrior captain as he was. And you really felt that more of his, his uh, personality came in after season four and through this, through this, the final season. Yes. Um, So yeah, it was at the wizard Chicago show and I'm at the Hyatt after hours and there's Avery Brooks at the bar and he's waiting to order his drink. And I'm like, Mr. Brooks. Yes. I'm like, I just want to tell you as much as I love uh, Ben Sisko, I really loved your portrayal of Hawk Mm -hmm. who was a character from Spencer for Hire, the TV show, but also the Spencer novels. And I'm a massive Robert Parker fan, Mm -hmm. and they're among my favorite crime novels. And I said, you really, I said, I've I've seen, I mean, by then others had played him, because this was in the 2000s, had played Hawk. And I'm like, you're the quintessential Hawk. And I'm really bummed that A Man Called Hawk, a spinoff show, only was like half a season. Yes. I said, because it really should have been more. And he's like, thank you. That's really kind. He shook my hands. What's your name? said, John, one more time. I said, you know, Mr. Brooks, please. I'm like, let me buy this round for you. Oh, that's not necessary. I'm like, oh, truly, it'd be my pleasure. And in that Ben Sisko way, he put his hand on my shoulder. And he, in that Ben Sisko voice, is like, John, you don't have to buy me a drink. We're having a lovely conversation. And seriously, man, I was four years old again. And I mean, I held my cool. Yes. But, and I'm sure my voice was fine. But inside, my voice was like, okay, oh, I'm going to walk away now. I'm going to leave you alone. But thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure meeting you. And I and he, and he smiled and he's like, you know, and again, I think I think my bass voice was fine. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, listen, I'm like, I don't want to take any more of your time. I'm like, seriously, yeah. it's an honor to meet you. And thank you so much for talking to me. He's like, it's my pleasure. And I'm like, wow, man, fucking Avery Brooks, Captain Cisco. Good Lord. I would walk through a wall for Captain Cisco. He's yeah. Ben Cisco, for God's sake. The yeah. best. The best. Oh my and Nimoy, too. No, seriously, man. I pinch myself when I am so lucky to, and, and I would include the old creators that I get to speak to as well. Mm-hmm. It, uh, truly, if if my 10-year-old self knew that I'd be talking to Neil Adams and I'd be talking to Walt Simonson and getting to know Denny O'Neill yes. before he passed away mm-hmm. and my buddy Marty Pasco, who I yes. still cry about. Uh, I miss Marty tragically because he's literally, t- he was 10 years older than me. We really got a great bond. Mm-hmm. And he gave me great advice and mm-hmm. I, I was able to help him in tough times for him as well. I really miss talking to Marty. I'm so glad that we literally have at least 10 hours, if not more of conversation that when I miss Marty, I can go back and listen to and smile. Yeah. But uh, that was, that was a tough loss. And that was right around the beginning of COVID. It, it wasn't COVID related. Mm-hmm. Marty was having medical problems for a couple of years mm-hmm. leading up to that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I miss him. I miss him a lot, but he was, but it's great. I mean, this, the ability to have these uh, the opportunities to talk to these people, uh, it's amazing. Um, just, you know, um, um, John, I'm just going to like, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry about hearing about Barney. Like, I, I remember, I think you talked about it because I, I, I went on the, um, when you were talking to the guys, the San Diego Comic-Con create, you know, the, yeah, yeah, San Diego. I heard about that. Yeah, I remember you were talking about that. 
that you know when marty passed away it was a like a big lot you know it really hit you hard yeah i mean again we really became friends i mean i got him to two different conventions one in cincinnati and one in uh in salt lake city mm-hmm. um and i and i told the organizer i'm like you really ought to have marty pasco he's got great stories yes. and you know i mean not only did he contribute as much as he did at, to the Superman mythos, mm-hmm. but he was surrounded and friends with everybody. Steve Gerber and Denny O'Neill and, and uh, Elliot Magan and Carrie Bates. And in a lot of ways, he was the, I, I believe Paul Kupperberg has now taken this place of being the keeper of the flame that was there going back to even the late seventies in the case of, Paul, but Marty in the mid seventies and knowing what DC was like back then, because we really get a lot of Marvel bullpen stories over the decades. We don't get as many DC stories Mm -hmm. and that's why. And then, and Paul, Paul was good friends with Marty as well. And I, and now I, and I, and I, man, I'll admit this. I, I I sometimes worry just because of these guys being older Mm -hmm. and especially during this COVID time early on, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Paul, you okay? You, you know, you're, you, you're yes. safe. Are you, you know, do you, do, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? I know I'm in Chicago, but can I help you in any way? So I love talking to Paul. In fact, we're going to do a word balloon uh, podcast coming up in a few weeks. Oh, okay. Go to this uh, videotape of uh, Julie Schwartz presentation from 1988. And let me say right mm-hmm. off the bat, I know Julie as a person is problematic. Mm-hmm. That said, but, you can't deny, I mean, Julie Schwartz was part of DC comics. Yes from from literally its beginnings mm-hmm. till he you know passed away he was still part of you know the company in in a small way even as a publisher emeritus or whatever his title was and he knew he knew where he knew all the great stories of the creation of superman yes so uh, we showed this videotape and we'll show it again on word balloon i just uh, to show the panel itself the video would be all washed out and you couldn't you couldn't see it it'd be better to, for us to show it Mm-hmm. And then do, you know, something before and after it on a word balloon live and let people ask Paul questions about it and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I love these guys. No, they're, they're, they're great guys. And I'm, I'm glad that I've become as friends of as much as our contemporaries like Bendis and Rucka and, and Fraction as much with the old timers. It's, it's been a, a privilege. So, all right. So John, it's already at the bottom of um, it's 1030 in Hawaii time. I'm going to start wrapping yeah. it up. So um I'm going to let our, like I said, our new listeners and even our older listeners, you know, please check out Word Balloon, especially, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, because you created Word Balloon to, um, uh, um, like, for these these legendary creators, like, you know, to be remembered, like the late Danny O'Neill, the late Marty Pascal, being to still hear, you know, their words, you know. Because like you said, Marty was from, you know, the mid seventies. Denny's been from the early sixties. Yeah. 60s, 10 years earlier. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to the, I has, I still have to listen to the Marty um, Pascal ones, but I've listened to the Daniel Neal interviews and they're great. I mean, he well, just bears his soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's fortunate timing on my part, uh, being the voracious reader that I am and having that, kind of uh, rain man sort of memory for all this stuff. It's buried in my head. I can't tell you how to bounce my checkbook, but I remember, you know, my first Denny O'Neill stories and my first Neil Adams stories and Marty Pasco. Uh, yeah, it's uh, no, that was a, that was a real privilege to be able to be there. Uh, Gene Colin is another one who's passed 
you know, Mike Ruringo, for that matter, a modern guy who was so important to me early on and really was one of my mentors in terms of Mm -hmm. you're a great creator. What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of as a guest, Mm -hmm. how would you like to be treated? Am I asking any stupid questions? Whatever. Honestly, the, the, the intent of Word Balloon was to generate interview style recordings of myself that I could send to prospective broadcast jobs mm-hmm. and hope to get a talk show mm-hmm. and, you know, lean on when I was talking to Walt Simonson about his star Wars comics, yes, because that would hook them in more so than the fact that he's such a great Thor writer mm-hmm. or, you know, everything else that he worked on in his career, Batman for that matter. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, then it became its own thing. And by the time of when the producers of Prophets of Science Fiction from the Discovery Channel came to me and said, we want you to be a, an on-air expert. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're not doing that because I'm a radio person. They're doing that because of Word Balloon. Yes. That's kind of was my aha moment beyond the nice feedback I'd get from fans and creators that like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, these guys are making television shows and they're coming to me because they listen and watch Word Balloon. And man, so many screenwriters and uh, producers of animation and live TV and film uh, through my other friends, uh, actors and, mm-hmm. and other comic book people that have graduated to the mm-hmm. film and television world. And they'll be like, you would not believe how many people on my, on my crew love and listen to Word Balloon. Or when Bendis went to do Seth Meyers mm-hmm. yes. and was getting the pre-interview and they're literally like, you know, on Word Balloon, you said dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, all right, Seth Meyers writers are listening to me. And maybe Seth. I have no idea if Seth knows yeah. who I am. But that's that's the other great – or when I met J. Michael Straczynski, and unfortunately it was a negative experience, but thankfully 10 years later we had a great experience. Mm-hmm. But he met me, and I'm like, hey, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm John Sutcher, so I do Word Balloon. It's like, I know who you are. Because I wasn't very, I wasn't a fan of his Superman, and especially when he walked off of Superman. Oh yes, I remember. And he's like, "I'll never do your podcast," and I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> All right. Well, I still love Babylon Five. It's cool. Yeah. And then, and I do still love Babylon Five. I adore Babylon Five. Yeah. I'm glad it's on HBO Max. Uh, and then when he came out with his autobiography, his PR people are like, "Hey, Joe Stravinsky would love to do a, a conversation with you." And I'm like, "If Joe wants to talk to me, I'm all for it." I'm like. Maybe he doesn't remember. Maybe I'm an idiot mentioning it now to you. And maybe he's going, hey, I remember that guy. Fuck that guy. But uh, we had a great 90-minute talk. And, uh, man, he was so nice. And, again, I was ready because yeah. I knew everything about him, not only Babylon 5 mm-hmm. and all his comics, but real Ghostbusters, the cartoon, and him working on the 80s Twilight Zone, you know, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And he, yeah. and it, there was, he was even on an, an audio drama that I adored it. It only lasted for one year. Uh-huh. It was called Alien Worlds. Uh-huh. And you could find it online. And there's like even a YouTube of all the audios of it. Uh-huh. And it was it was coming out of Star Wars. And it was a spaceship going alien planets. And most of the shows were two-parters. Uh-huh. And he wrote a, a solo episode of it in 1979. I mean, it's one of the first jobs that he got paid for. And I'm like, tell me about Alien Worlds. He's like, oh, I'm glad you know that thing. You know, and I'm like, yeah, man. I go, I love that show. Mm-hmm. So no, he was great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, I'm very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. So, but my initial intent was, like I said, generating stuff for broadcasting because I wasn't getting the sports interviews that I was because mm-hmm. I was working behind the scenes yes. uh, at Sporting News Radio at this point. They let me do boxing every now and then. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much it. 
And even that, there was some resistance from the programmers and stuff, which I was, mm-hmm. was like, fuck you. I know more than you'll ever know about this sport. But anyway, uh, well, I did. I wrote for Ring Magazine. I wrote for Boxing Illustrated. So, uh, you know, again, it's whatever. I mean, it, my, my, my immediate boss, I made commercials and, and, and I did production features back then. And the Jack Johnson, uh, Ken Burns uh-huh. documentary on PBS was on American uh, Masters or American Experience. Mm-hmm. And the local public television station came in to film me mm-hmm. to talk about Jack Johnson because Johnson, uh, a lot of his history was happening in Chicago and I was mm-hmm. able to talk about that. And the program director who hated me mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't know, I've never heard of you and you're supposed to be this, some sort of boxing expert. And he goes, I can't, I was working in Las Vegas, uh-huh. the boxing capital of the world. Yeah. And I've never heard of you. And I'm like, this jerk has the nerve to tell me that. So I'm like, all right, the gloves are off. I'm like, well, during that time, I've been working in Chicago, the mm-hmm. third largest broadcast market in the country. And yeah. I've never heard of you. Yeah. Now what? Mm-hmm. He's like, how dare you? And I'm like, well, you just insulted me. Yeah. I thought it was okay to insult back. Yes. I thought we were going to have a nice conversation, but you're being a cock. Mm-hmm. So we never got along. And mm-hmm. anyway, uh, and so then when public television came in to videotape me, he and another host are like, why are they talking to Suntress? I don't understand why they're talking to Suntress. And my manager who ran the production department that I was in is in his very smoky voice was, I won't do the voice, but he's like, um, because everyone in broadcasting in this town knows that John is a real expert. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay that you guys are from out of town and you don't know, but what does this guy have to do to prove himself to you? He's written for ring magazine and boxing mm-hmm. illustrated. Um, when they were making Cinderella Man, I was considered for a technical advisor on the movie. I didn't get the gig, but they did say you're in the running. Mm-hmm. And no by way. the way, the guy who got it was Angelo Dundee, Muhammad Ali's former trainer and manager. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, so they got they got a great guy. Yes. But but because I made an audio documentary of a Jack Dempsey Gene Tunney fight, and it it caught wind, and someone in development for Ron Howard is mm-hmm. like, hey, maybe we should talk to this guy. Yeah, that's fantastic. And again, I even to this day, I'm not don't you know who I am because I'm nobody, man. I'm a pimple on the ass of geek culture. Fine, Mm -hmm. whatever. But if you actually do look at my track record, it's like, I don't know how to break it to you, Mm -hmm. but I have been in this business for 30 years in terms of broadcasting. And I've been doing Word Balloon for 16 years. So yeah, maybe in in some circles, you you know, I'm not asking for anything more than common respect. Mm-hmm. And those yeah. guys weren't doing it. So, but yeah, I was just trying to generate more uh, interview tape mm-hmm. with Word Balloon. And instead it's become its own thing. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, back to Rocky Balboa, nobody's laughing anymore. Yeah. So, All right, go. John, I'm going to wrap it up. All right, buddy. John, like, you know, just thank you very much. And sure. ladies and gentlemen, we have listened to one of the original Mercury astronauts of <laughs> podcasting. I'm going to make you laugh because I'm the Jeff Basil passenger in this, in this, <laughs> in the phallic shape rocket. That you I made just, it, but you made it to space. That's the key. <laughs> you made it to space. So we've all made it to space. We're all right. I always think of myself. I was Gordon Cooper. I'd like to say I was because I wasn't the first, but I was more, one of the more colorful ones. So there you go. <laughs> all right. So John, I know word balloon is still going on strong. I, oh yeah. 
I, you know, I want to wish you continued success. Um, I encourage new listeners to check out Word Balloon, you know, and please check out um, John's past interviews. You know, as I mentioned before, like, you know, if you get a chance, check out the late, you know, interviews of, from late legendary writers like Daniel Neal, Marty Pasco. So um, also too, John, you know, um, if, if we have... Yeah, if you don't mind, can we do a part two, too? Oh, it'd be my pleasure, man. Truly, like I said, I mean, I kind of, I saw your outline of questions and I tried to acknowledge some of them. But if you want to get more granular in terms of uh, deeper into what comics I like or whatever, yeah. I'm happy to talk more, Jason. Now, you're a good guy. And truly, thank you for your support, uh, both as a Patreon pa- a patron and a League of Word Balloon listeners uh, member but also uh, the wonderful uh, care packages from Hawaii. Those are incredibly kind and always such a lovely uh, Christmas time gift. So I thank you so much. No, you and John, because I send those to you because it's, it's just to say, you know, my way to say thank you for doing word balloon, all your hard work. is just something small. It's just say, thank you. You just, thank you very much. Yeah. My pleasure, man. Thank you for talking to me today. We had fun and, uh, yeah, thanks for all the support. Everybody who listens, everyone who is listening that already does listen to Word Balloon, thank you. And I hope this conversation inspires new listeners to come and uh, check out what I do at wordballoon.com and on my Word Balloon YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is search for Word Balloon uh, and you'll find me. All right. And then lastly, I want to, you know, um, thank you, the listen. Actually, before I finish up, again, John, thank you for your time. And I want to thank you, the listeners, for your time and listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Mahalo. Aloha. Before I start wrapping things up, I just want to, you know, apologize to you listeners. I'm sorry. I know in the first minute there is um, like some type of radio frequency that got locked into our internet connection when I was talking to John Suntress. I know it only lasts for a few seconds. So, you know, I, I apologize for that. Um, you know, I just thank God it wasn't all throughout the interview. So again, you know, my apologies um, to, you know, to you, the listeners who listened to this episode. Um, all I can say is it was great. Other than that, it was great talking to John Suntress of Word Balloon. I had so much fun talking to John about his early days of podcasting, you know, and our love for Star Trek. So, you know, that was great. So if you guys get a chance, please check out the latest episodes of Word Balloon. Like I said, you know, it's it's a great conversation show. It really is. And also, you know, if you are a new listener um, to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast, please check out their weekly episodes that comes out every Saturday. Drew and Kyle do spec picks of new releases that comes out every Tuesday and Wednesday. So, you know, please, you know, check out new episodes. And again, like I said, check out new episodes of Ward Balloon as well. You know, now, you know, I want to give a few thank yous, um, you know, thank yous. Uh, first off, I want to thank John Suntress of Ward Balloon. John, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Like I said, it was great talking to you. It really was. You know, and I also want to thank Drew, the Comics for Fun and Profit um, co-host. Drew, thank you very much for letting me contribute to your podcast. Thank you very much for doing all the heavy lifting behind the scenes in putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much. And finally, I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha.